Ready, Dave? Hey, everybody, and welcome to Don't Let's Start a Podcast about the MIB Giants. I'm Dave. I'm Jordan. And this episode, we're going to talk about side two of They Might Be Giants album, Lincoln. Lincoln is their second album. Uh, wow. So this is the thir- this is side two, but this is the third week. Right. Like, this is Lincoln, Lincoln. We're stuck in Lincoln month. land. We're stuck in Lincoln land. There's all these ro- Lincoln robots after us. <laughs> Send help. I- I've been thinking a lot about this the past week. I just love this album so much. So it's like, whatever, right? I mean, I... I there's a few albums I love maybe just as much. I think there's some future albums that might be one episode or two quick two quicker episodes. So let's just enjoy this while we're while we're in it, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're only going to do the uh, Lincoln Lincoln extravaganza once, you know. We're not going to repeat ourselves on the show, so let's just all enjoy it. YOLO. <laughs> exactly. Before we get to side two, I had one thing I had to tell Dave, and I'm telling him this is a surprise to Dave. What? So I mentioned in a previous episode, I work as a background actor. <laughs> I'm not really an actor, but I work as... Oh, an, don't sell yourself short. I work as an extra on TV shows and movies, and what a lot of that job entails is sitting in a room uh, with a bunch of other extras and talking for hours. So anyway, I was talking, I was telling someone else about the podcast last night, this older guy. And I said, Oh, we just, we just put out this big episode about the 64 world's fair. And he goes, Oh, I I went to that. (laughs) And I was like, wow. And he goes, yeah, I snuck in with my friends. Oh, wow. And then he said, uh, he goes, yeah, did you go to forest Hills high school? And I said, yeah, as you might remember, I mentioned that you could see it out the window. And he goes, yeah, I did too. Class of like 67 or whatever. Wow. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Damn. So that was pretty, that was pretty crazy. I didn't really grill him on it. Oh yeah. I was going to say, did he have any information? Any, he he found any Anna inside? Ng. He found her. <laughs> <laughs> she was hiding. Uh, she wasn't at the DuPont Pavilion. She was at the... Uh, uh, <laughs> other pavilion. the other is the all my research I did is instantly out of my brain yeah. <laughs> because I'm so busy with all the the next episodes. Yeah, and and then they, they everyone talked about nine eleven for a long time, and I kind of tuned out. Well, let's talk about that. Anyway, um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I started out cool, but then I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Dave, side two of Lincoln. Do you have any general thoughts about side two of Lincoln before we get into it, or do you want to go? Yeah, I mean, it, it has some of my favorite songs. Ooh, like uh, like of all time, or on the album? You saying? Uh, maybe both. Stay tuned. Maybe this won't hold up as we go into it. Uh, maybe the more personal, smaller stuff is on side two. Huh, interesting. Um, I would like to yeah. hear why you think that. There's a couple of times <laughs> where I, I think their their real thoughts kind of shine through. Oh, sure. And the, the songs that I'm thinking of are a little bit smaller and a little bit more... Lincoln doesn't have like the grotesque face mask that the first album has <laughs> to me. You know, Link, Lincoln right. is a little bit more open. It's I think li- there's some cracks in the in the face yeah, mask. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit more of a romantic album and, it, and it's a little bit more... The emotions are a little more def- defined better, I think. Better is confusing. Well, I don't mean better than the first album, but clearer. You know, there's the, the song, you can be like, this song's, this is the emotion of this song. Yeah, I think for lack of a better term, and I... I uh, that should be the name of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad name. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm hesitant to use this word, but more of their humanity mm. shines through. Yeah. Inside, too. 
Yeah, and and we talked last time. Not as protected, especially in the the production, really enhances that. And 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 these actually the songs coming up kind of are are the ones I was thinking of when I talked about that yeah. in the first episode about Lincoln. Well, then, so let's dive right in. All right. Well, the the first track of side two is the world's address. Dave, wow, this song, what a way to open a, a side of an yeah. album, huh? I, I have to say, even for They Might Be Giant standards, I think this song confuses me. Oh, really? Yeah. I've got some I've got some interesting insight. Um, it's n- not that I don't have insight in it, it's just such a, a layered... Dave's middle name is Insight. Song. First, I'll say right off the bat, the Wikipedia says that... Linnell wrote this because Linnell sings on an original demo, which was played on the the infamous Franco tool show, which I've talked about. I actually posted on the Wikipedia last week (laughs) challenging that because it's one thing to assume he wrote it because he sings on an earlier version. You don't know for a fact. Mm. And the reason I'm doubting that is because this to me feels like a Flansburg song. Because it's a genre pastiche. It's a genre thing, and the, it the, has Latin the subject matter is a, a thing that Flansburg has gone into a few times. The idea of these relationships gone wrong and the betrayal theme, right, is like a very... Fl- I mean, You'll Miss Me coming up is is that. And, yeah. and so is a, uh, other songs throughout their career. And it's like I get a real strong Flansburg feeling. Now, maybe Linnell wrote it and said, this is a Flansburg-y song. I'm going to give it to him. That certainly can happen. I just think that the Wikipedia maybe they seem a hundred percent sure that Linnell wrote it, but I don't I don't recall them saying in an interview that Linnell wrote it. Now if they yeah. did, then a hundred percent retract, you know. Yeah. But and then in that case I'd like to see that interview. Yeah. Mr. Wiki, <laughs> what is your evidence? Um we love, I love the Wikipedia. It's a huge, valuable resource, but, but part of the reason it's so good is because everyone's really careful about right. fact-checking in, and in, uh, not to insult the fact-checkers. <laughs> Dave, do you get that reference? Do you? Yes. Okay. So I breathed heavy enough. Isn't that an answer? Is, so Dave, what are, what are, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the lyrics, but the music, anything, anything about the world's address. Yeah. This song is very lyrically dense mm-hmm. and with very few lyrics though. Yeah, self-referential again, with the the title being a pun, and then he points out how uh, it's a pun. In case he which goes, is really in strange. Case you dummies haven't noticed, I'm gonna sing it again. Yeah. The world's a dress, a place that's worn, a sad pun that reflects the sad mess. I'll repeat it for those who may not have already guessed. Which is funny because I. When I was looking through the old news group for people talking about this song, that's another thing I do <laughs> uh, in preparation. There are people who are like, I didn't know it was a pun for years. It's like, it says it in the song. It's t- yeah, wake, wake up, people. He's, yeah, he's telling you that it's a pun. And it, it is kind of like that Anna Ng broken record thing where it just keeps kind of going for a while. And he's like really stressing. He's like, you have to know this. You have to know. Now the the story though in the song is is you it's fair to say it's pretty ambiguous. Well one one fun thing that 
and th- this is not um, confirmed, but I thought it was an interesting thing is, is on the old news group. There, there was, you know, our, my, my favorite poster, Chris Stangle, he tied it to West Side Story. Uh-huh. So the song Tonight has the line. Oh. Yeah. So in Tonight in West Side Story. Damn. Uh, they sing, it's like a love ballad, right? And they sing, uh, I'll, I'll put this out right here. I'm, I've, I've never seen West Side Story. Actually, a drama class in my high school showed it to us, but because it was high school, I was not paying attention. I was just like drawing in my notebook and not really watching. Um, there's I, something about when school is doing it, you don't care. Whereas now I'd happily like, I'm, I'm pretty open to watching an any instant movie sleeping pill. I, I'm also, inter- I'm also, I'm interested in anything. that's like pop culturally relevant, you know, I'll watch it, whatever. I saw it and I don't, it made no impression on me. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. So, okay. But to get to the point, the line in the song is today, the world was just an address, a place for me to live in no better than all right. It might not be a fact that he's referencing this, so I want to put that out right there. Yeah. This, this could be wrong, but he, but Stengel, you know, who's very diligent, especially back in the pre-Wikipedia days, about finding these references, uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, he also points to Our Town, the play, which has a, yeah. which has like a gag about. And I say gag and like, a, it's like a very like smart, complicated gag about, you know, a letter being addressed to the world. And then it expands to like, like, wait, there's more the universe. Yeah. And then it's all inside like God's <laughs> pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> I never told you about that letter Jane Crawford got from her minister when she was sick. He wrote Jane a letter and on the envelope, the address was like this. It said Jane Crawford, the Crawford farm. Grover's Corners, Sutton County, New Hampshire, the United States of America. What's funny about that? But listen, it's not funny. The United States of America, continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the Earth, the solar system, the universe, the mind of God. That's what it said on the envelope. Hey, what do you know? Yep, and the postman brought it just the same. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing. And the idea of the world being an an address, and we're going to not go into the pun yet, but the idea of the world being an address, which is just, it kind of like reinforces your your place in things, right? So how do you think that ties into the story? The, the world being an address. The, yeah, the narrative of the spurned lover. Yeah, okay. So the spurned lover, the, the person who is betrayed, right, in the song, the narrator. And folks, who doesn't relate to that? Yeah, I betray, I betray Dave every chance I get. <laughs> I betray myself. Um, so the, I think part, something that happens when you're, so it's kind of like the rug, when the rug's pulled out from under you and you're distraught because yeah. someone betrayed you. You do kind of question, like, I mean, look, your place in the universe. Yeah, it's like so making your personal problems like universal, huge universe problems, right? So it's like rather than just um, this bad thing happened to me, it's more just like the world sucks, right? Right. Or the world is out to get me. The world is against me. Or sometimes some people, um, this is called catastrophizing. Uh, they, they'll, they'll even expand it to, Oh, the, the universe is trying to make me fail. The universe is against me. Right. I didn't know there was a word for what I do every day. (laughs) There is. I've been reading a lot about this lately, Uh actually. 
you know, and so you can even the multiple multiverses, <laughs> you can really keep going yeah. bigger. I kind of think of that with, with the song, right? Yeah. It, it's look, okay. I don't know who wrote the lyrics. Um, these are some of their, I would say their finest lyrics. This is a quintessential They Might Be Giants song because it's, it's full of the wordplay and it's there's there. What I love about a lot of their songs is there's a story under the, well, not under the surface because it is the surface, but there's, there's like a more elaborate story there kind of that you can imagine. Cause one thing Linnell said about, we've talked about like their lyrics. He's just like, if we're withholding something from the listener, that's on purpose. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's not that we're leaving something out and you're supposed to know what it is. It's that because that's all that's important. Linnell stress is like, you're getting what's important. Yeah. Yeah. So this song is a good example of that because you don't know much. Life's parade of fashion just leaves me depressed under every garment I can see. So you, you get, you don't even really get many hints about what the actual circumstances are. Now, the only hint that I would maybe lean to is the fixation on the dress, right? So it's like something having, the reason he's obsessing yeah. over the, the idea of the dress, I think is important. And you guys could just take that and run with it. That's all I'm really going to say about it. Well, I was going to say, do you think the, the dress is another, I don't know how you'd even say this, a third la- layer of pun and uh, like... Um, anthrop- anthropomorphizing the world wearing a dress <laughs> and like what's underneath that oh my god what like a <laughs> well like how like, i don't even know like I, a bowling like putting a dress on like a bowling ball like what that would look like or something <laughs> yeah just like it, like secrets like oh what's under the dress you know yeah that's kind of what i was getting at before what's under the dress people um one thing to uh, to go with the i meant to say this before about west side story but the the only thing that could possibly be hinting that that's an on purpose reference is the the Latin flavor to the music because yeah yeah the America song what is it yeah you want to, you want me to sing it <laughs> I'm not sing it Dave I want to live in America yeah right so that kind of has that kind of something something America I mean, Dave you know a little I feel like you know a little more about this kind of thing than than me I was actually scrolling through different Latin musical genres to try to like nail down what world's address is but it's it's kind of got the tango cha-cha-cha yeah. at the end you is know? it bachata <laughs> Dave you tell me this is like is it merengue yeah Dave knows about this stuff is it cumbia well you're asking but I don't know or are you just presenting the you're just present putting it out. I don't know there. what I'm doing. Okay. Well, uh, so yeah, I, I think that could be a, a connection to the West Side Story thing. But again, this might completely not be true. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to believe it. I think it scans. Yeah. One thing just musically about this song, I guess I guess in terms of memories, I mean, this. I remember being in, in summer camp when I was like 14 and just really singing this a lot to people, to like my friends. I, I remember for a while I was like really obsessed with yeah. this particular, like especially... Uh, on this whole side of the album. Like I remember really singling this one out. It was, wasn't a single. Yeah. Now this is interesting to me. You know what I was thinking the other day? She's an angel. Wasn't a single. Really? Hotel detective <laughs> was a single, was the third single. You got puppet head. Don't let's start <sighs> hotel detective. Now, which one of these <laughs> is, and yeah. do you think it was just that it's too, too many Linnell pop songs in a row. Do you find it a little odd that for the third single for their first album, they went with hotel detective, a kind of non melodic song yeah. rather than just like the classic 
pop hit She's an Angel, which I could easily see that. Do you think they are you saying you think they did that to balance it out between Flansburg and Linnell Moore? Maybe. Whose idea was that to make that the hit? Was it the record label? Was it Flansburg being like, I want to get this song out there? I mean, I love the music video for it. It's fun. But uh, I was thinking the other day, like, She's an Angel was not a a single. (laughs) So maybe uh, it was more loud. Yeah, more exciting. I don't, I really don't know. I honestly, it seems bizarre to me the more I think about it. Um, but likewise, World's Address, I could see being a single because it's so in your face catchy. It's so. Well, maybe the world flavor of it made it a little too. A little too, um, yeah. Strange for mainstream audiences. Maybe. Of uh, the time. I, yeah. I don't know. It is one of the more aggressive sounding songs on the album. You know, it's got that, the intro to the song is very in your face. So. It it it's kind of does stand out on this album, but it but it doesn't stand out in the sense that it's just so melodic and that 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 chorus. I it's not a song they do live a lot. They almost never do. It seems it. like it's too hard to play. It seems <laughs> hard to play, but it's like I, it's such a sing along song, though, right? I don't think we really need to talk about Einstein and Copernicus. I mean, look, just do your research, people. What why do you want me to do everything <laughs> for you? Jesus Christ! You want to be a real Einstein? Pick up a book. Pick up a book. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next. Well, I feel like maybe in the future we'll have more to say about certain songs, you know, like like we just talked about She's an Angel. I, yeah. So when I say let's move on, don't worry. These songs will come up again, I think. Right? Well, this one at least will come up one more time because of the remix. That's right. So we might save some stuff for that. Okay, so the next song, this is a special one, and it's I've Got a Match. got a match dave uh i mean in my mind this is a special song for the fans but uh i also don't see it talked about too much but what are you what are you what are your thoughts on this song well i know we already discussed that they won't play it live (laughs) so me and dave went to the lincoln show which i've actually played some clips from on this show before if there ever was a time to play it you know the reason you want to go to an album showcase show is because they'll play rare songs that you've that That they don't often play and they didn't play it and i was i was genuinely i was really upset i remember when you came out of the show you're like guess i'm never hearing that one yeah because like when else would they he was fucking pissed (laughs) well like when else would they do it and i remember being on the way there being like yeah just yeah i've got a match never heard it live you know it's like i've been a fan of this band for like 20 years so hearing a song live that i've never heard before is a pretty exciting thing an old song not you know not a new debut song or whatever but so it's an exciting thing so i was disappointed about that yeah. one thing i don't get is Flansburg's like 
we don't play it. He said we don't play it live because we got burned down on it playing it so much. But I, which was a long time ago. But even so, like I have tons of bootlegs from the eighties and nineties. They didn't play it that much. Yeah, yeah. They barely That's played what I'm it. Saying. They it's barely like, played it ever. So time to put it back in the catalog. Folks. When when they did play it, they always introduced it as this song is called "I've Got to Match Your Embrace and My Collapse." The full name of the song is "I've Got to Match Your Embrace and My Collapse." Okay, so, so they said the full title. They said the full title, and then when they would play Santa's Beard, they Flansburg almost always said... This song is called I Saw My Baby Wearing Santa's Beard. Hmm. And they've done this for a few other songs live. I think this is interesting, and I wanted to know your thoughts, Dave. Do you think that... Are they being kind of funny? Like, this is just... We just want to say the... Is it that it's like they shortened it for the album, but the the real version is what they say live? And hmm. what I connect this to is how he said the Lincoln was originally called Lincoln Calling, and then they chipped away at that until it was just called Lincoln. I see. I feel like maybe the original title really, the original titles maybe are kind of lengthy, and then they're like, well, calling it I've Got a Match, Your Embrace, and My Collapse, it kind of gives the gives it away, right? Because yeah. that's a line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like a... It's like a powerful line in the song, you know, and full of a lot of things to talk about. I think they probably know when to shorten stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a match. Like we said, me and Dave kind of really love basically almost everything on all these early albums, yeah, yeah. or I would say everything for me. Some of those songs, though, even rise above that to like really loving. Mm-hmm. And this, for me, this is one. This is one of them. This is one. I, I Linnell has a lot of songs on this album that are you know, about relationships and romance. Bingo. And uh, this is this is kind of the center of that, I think. Yeah. We've got Anna Ng and, and well, you know, even Flansburg. Piece of Dirt always kind of feels like that to me too. So maybe it's not just Linnell, but this is the most honest song about a relationship. <laughs> well, we got They'll Need a Crane coming up also. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a trilogy. Anna Ng, I've Got a Match, They'll Need a Crane. It was just these like very... Well, yeah, Lost Love. Yeah, very sad songs. Though This one's very funny. I mean, it's it's very darkly funny and very sad. Um, you know, we've both had we've both had relationships that, you know, have had a lot of arguing in them or went south, you know. Yeah. I think me, you know, I... Dave, Dave found his wife, you know, pretty early on and, and he's very lucky. Somehow. Somehow. It's really crazy um, to I, think about that. I spent about, man, you know, all of my 20s almost and, and late teens in a lot of really bad relationships over and over. A lot of arguing, a lot of resentment building up. This song is really all about that resentment, I think, you know, really about the when it, it gets to a point where you're not even arguing anymore. You're just trying to like poison the other person you're just trying to be purposefully spiteful they're not i mean they're almost like your enemy right well they say that love is closer to hate than indifference so they're they say that yeah, they might be giant. the people that i talk to after i do this podcast <laughs> um people dave has to be interrogated yeah what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's true. There, When you have that intimate a relationship with someone and it goes south, those strong feelings are still there and they have to turn into something, right? So when you have that intimate a relationship, you can't just turn it off and be like, nah, we're fine. You know, it's not like, it's not like Seinfeld where it's like a completely mutual breakup. The intense feelings linger and, oh, sure. um, and those feelings can get as ugly as they get as in, as shown in this song, for example. Yeah, life life is not like Seinfeld. Though for me, it kind of was like Seinfeld. What's funny is 
when I was in my 20s and when I joined an online dating service, uh, suddenly I was constantly dating people. And it, for the first time, I used to watch Seinfeld and be like, how are they have a new someone girl that they're going out with they every did all week. that without dating apps yeah but then suddenly that was my life is yeah. every week i'd say to my roommate like oh this is uh so and so nice to meet you it's like yeah it is weird like and they're always and it was weird and with the more frequency that you you date people you do become that seinfeld thing where you really notice all the things that bother you like well with online dating it's pretty easy to meet someone else <laughs> pretty quick it, it boggles my mind i mean i don't i don't like to uh speculate if my wife and I ever, uh, you know, split up. But, oh, oh, yeah. Um, because it's it's just too horrible to imagine. But uh, I always wonder if like I would do the online thing, or it's just too weird. I, my, I think my wife would. and I joke a lot. <laughs> my wife and I joke that we were the last person, uh, the last couple to meet in real life. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like that way. And then after that, it all changed. It all became online I dating. I don't know. I don't think I could do it. It does make it less of a big deal to to break up with someone. That's what I found. I mean, in a way, it was almost nice because I wasn't so um, distraught about, oh, how do, should I let this, should I tell this girl I'm not interested? Because well, I'd be like, yeah, they'll they'll meet someone soon. Mm, and so will I. That's interesting. But it is funny even having like one or two uh, of those relationships turn sour. It does give you so much fuel for songwriting. Yeah. Because um, even the, <laughs> the few things that I had happen to me, it's like, no, that's a song. There's like five songs yeah. right there. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, we don't like to delve too much into the personal life of uh, the Johns. No. And it's hard to speculate, but you know, it could be a very small thing that happened and uh, gave them a lot of leg. Hey, maybe the legs. song's about, maybe it was inspired by arguing with, with each other. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Linnell kind of put a, a, a relationship spin on it. That's the other way songs get written. Songs are like, you take, there's one, maybe there's one spark, but then you really readjust it and change things. Right. And that kind of makes it more interesting. Yeah, I'm going to die if you touch me one more time. Well, I guess that I'm going to die no matter what. That's that's like an interesting example of being like defeated. <laughs> right, Dave? That's a funny line. I like that line. It's funny. Why? What? Because <laughs> we're all going to die no matter what. So, oh, yeah. So maybe it doesn't matter that so they're just, having this fight. Well, to me, what I imagine in that part is he's like, I'm going to die if you touch me one more time. And she touches him. <laughs> like that prompts her to touch him. And he goes, well... That just happened. <laughs> so I kind of think of that. Yeah. And so we can talk about, uh, I've got to match your embrace and my collapse. Some, maybe there are some younger people who don't, I mean, I don't think this phrase has been used in the past in 40 50, years. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you know what it was when you first? No. Heard? Yeah. Neither did I. <laughs> I know, I'm trying like, to act like some this? know it all. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, I guess a, uh, a retort you'd say to someone, I guess. Do you know, Dave, maybe you know more than me about it. I'm just assuming this was an old timey mm -hmm. uh, kind of suit and tie expression. <laughs> yeah, it'd be in like a film noir. If someone asks you if you got a match, you say, yeah, your face and my ass. Yeah. I guess that could be an affectionately teasing thing. It doesn't have to be like someone you hate, right? I saw it as like a, a glass jawed gumshoe saying it. You're Frank Burley. Yeah. This line is is a really good example of the brilliance of their lyrics is because it's something they do a lot is they twist something that is 
you know, familiar or maybe even not. Maybe they twist an obscure thing, but like the pogo example. Yeah. So they're taking this phrase that I I think I think they're assuming people know this phrase. I don't know. I don't know if they're doing it because it's known or because they think it's this obscure funny thing. I feel like back then it was probably known. It also relates back to that kind of Americana thing too that we talked about. Yeah. That's true. This al- this feels like a very American arguing kind of song. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this exactly. feels like an American couple t- <laughs> arguing. Well, just in the sense that it's like, uh, again, you, if you're picturing a film noir kind of thing or, you know, a, a, a quick-witted uh, Hollywood kind of movie thing. Yeah, yeah. North by Northwesty kind of thing. Um, but so your embrace and my collapse, it's always been very sad to me because it's implying that the other person is making an effort and putting it out there. They're embracing the narrator and it's not working, right? It's sad. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad. Oh, we've got another coffee reference, Dave. Ding, ding, ding. Drinking coffee. Coffee. Coffee or coffee for me. What a reference it is. I put a rock in the coffee in your <laughs> coffee mug. That's See, that guy sounds like a jerk. That's mean, Jordan. <laughs> that's not a nice thing to do to someone. If, if we have any listeners out there that are in the dating scene, that's a no-no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beat up the cat if you need someone else on the mat. That's mean, too. <laughs> that does Well, that does remind me of, of relationships. When I had a relationship that was really at its last legs that I really won, I tried many times. So you know the Seinfeld when George is trying to break up with this woman and she doesn't let him? <laughs> Of course. So that happened to me uh, in one of my relationships. I kept trying to break it off. And I we had many, like many conversations of me being like me giving all the reasons why it's not working. And I'm like, I'm going to therapy because I can't handle, you know, how much we argue. And she'd be like, no, 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 it's good. It's good. So as like a last ditch effort to just like end the relationship, I you just- You put a rock in her I put coffee. A, I beat up her cat. No, <laughs> no, I, I didn't let her sleep in bed with me one night because I was yeah. just like, I can't, I well, I was like, I can't fall asleep when someone's in bed with me, which was sort of a half truth. Um, but it was just like, it, it worked because the next morning she said, I, I don't think this is working. And in my head, I went, eh, it worked. I felt horrible doing it. Sounds like a bad time all around. It was really bad, <laughs> but it did work. The song really brings me those painful memories. But I also think the song is extremely witty. It's very funny. I mean, these are very these are exaggerated uh, ways of painting a, a poor relationship. Right. On a musical level, there's a lot to talk about. One thing that's interesting is the use of of the fake instruments is getting a little more blurry on this album. As to like, does it? makes sense because it's like so this song has like a tambourine in it and it's like very fake sounding you think it's always sensitive you think that i want to be not having a drummer is one thing because a drummer is hard to come by they're hard to find you know this dave should i should i put a call out there yeah my band dead on a friday is looking for a drummer so Mm-hmm. If anybody out there is a punk rock drummer and lives in New York and is yeah. interested, you know one one thing. Linnell, please said, let me know. One thing Lenell said once when they they were asked about why don't they have a, a drummer, and you know he's like, well, when we were starting out, it's not like we made money, and it's like, well, it's just like asking someone to be your slave for no reason yeah. is what he said. <laughs> so I get not having a drummer, but my point is, 
they got tambourines. <laughs> There's tambourines in the yeah. studio. Anyone can pick up a tambourine for 15 bucks and play it into a microphone. So, you know, a song like this, especially like a very um, emotional and, and sad song, it, it, like my instinct would be, yeah, play the real tambourine, but it's very, very fake sounding. <laughs> well, especially when you get into a Apollo 18 where the instruments start getting incredibly realistic yeah, sounding. Well, that's I have a lot to say about that. Which in the future. I, I guess led the, to the decision to just go with yeah, a full yeah. band. But I always, yeah, I wonder what was like the tipping point. Yeah, because this song to me would be a perfect reason to have a real tambourine, whereas that last little bottle I could... I don't know, man. But one thing about the drums that I do love, I love the drum part of this song for the chorus. So Dave, <laughs> I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to like act it out here, but do you know what I'm talking about? It like slows down. It goes like... Love people are dun, 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 dun. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's subtle. There's a musical term for what that is. Yeah, it's like so it's such an interesting drum part. It's really, really specific. And the, the drums throughout the song have like really specific, interesting, intricate things going on. It's one of my favorite songs for for the the synth drums actually yeah. on the album. I just really love what they're doing. And I also love musically Flansburg's very soulful guitar playing. Whereas the tambourine is very fake, the guitar strums, like compared to, let's say, a song like Anna Ang, right, or Purple Toupee, or the guitar strums are very um, dynamic. Like you hear him do these soft strums in the background, and then you hear him do these little quick strums, mm -hmm. and they're very human, right? They're very alive. You can tell it, there's, like a, there's like a sincere quality to the guitar playing yeah. that you don't hear a lot in their other stuff. Usually the guitar playing is kind of in your face, or it's very, very like... Um, regimented like it's this note that note this note you know robotic to me he really like makes the song come alive and i also love the harmony so we talked last time about the harmonies on this album are a lot like tighter and more subtle and more um sweet sounding and this one really has that great one from flansburg and a lot of the songs on the side of the album do that. You're saying more like uh, counter melodies, more, more specific. So I, uh, there's like harmonies on the first album almost seem like used for like comedic effect. Okay, I see. Is what I'm saying. Whereas the harmonies on Lincoln are used, it's almost more to push the emotion of the, the vocal. Yeah. So Flansburg's like kind of higher harmony which is has always been a struggle. I used so when I used to walk around and like only sing the harmonies to myself, you know. Sure. This one was always a struggle for me. I used to be like I always kept slipping into the main melody. Like, oh, what is it? But it's like smell of love. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to cut that out, Dave. But, I didn't say anything. <laughs> Dave says a lot with his eyes though. You people don't realize. I have very soulful eyes. Yeah, yeah. And also it's sort of what I talked about with Cowtown has like those chimes in it. A lot of the synths on this album, as opposed to the aggressive nature of the first album, they're, they're synths that are very, very pleasing sounding. So like the main synth driving the song that... Yeah, I love how that sounds. It's hard to describe. Yeah. I wonder how they came to that. It's like kind of like a harp, kind of like... Right. Or like a, acoustic, like a classical guitar, but it's clearly a synth. Yeah, I wonder what setting that is. Yeah, that's a great sound. I, I really love that. I found a great clip of Flansburg talking about how they would often confuse producers as a duo with the, the strange, unique sounds that they would bring in. And it actually made their early stuff, you know, arguably, I guess, more unique than the later band mm -hmm. stuff. You know, what you 
would think of as like the more eccentric part of what we were doing kind of got like normalized by having a live band, like trying to take a live band into the studio, like going, going into a studio with a drummer and a bass player, people have very stock ways of working, mm-hmm. you know, like engineers and producers are like, we know how this works. Like, this is how you record a good drum sound. This yeah. is how you record a good bass sound. Like, when we would go into the studio as a duo with, like, a bunch of samples that we had made at home and, a, you know, a drum program that we had made at home, you know, the producers would be like, how do you want to do this? I have no idea. I, I don't <laughs> even know this? what we're doing. I don't even know what this is supposed to sound like. I feel like they're putting more strange instruments in the last few albums also. Maybe, again, we talked about maybe they're yeah. kind of returning They're starting to circle. blend the two things yeah. together. I think after, um, well, we, well, there's a lot to talk about. Before we finish this song, I just have one question for Dave. Why can't you be sensitive and good? <laughs> that's funny because that's like, Man, that's like something you say to a little kid. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> it's it's really demeaning. Because <laughs> why can't you be sensitive? I get, but and good. <laughs> why don't you be good? What like why aren't why why can't you be good? This is hilarious. I don't know, Jordan. I, I really do think. Look, I've said it before. I, I think Linnell is a lyrical genius, and sometimes it's done in understatement ways. You know, it's not like it's not all the yellow Roosevelt Avenue leaf overturned, right? Sometimes it's a line that that really does kind of sneaks up on you, right? Because you're like, yeah, why can't you be sensitive and good? But then when you isolate it, <laughs> yeah. it's a weird thing that someone would say to someone else. So mean. This is about two mean people. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good place to move on. Uh, the next song is. Something exciting, because we already talked about it, and it's yeah. called Santa's Beard. Once a year, my friend puts on a red suit and hangs around with me and my to say about this song dave is that the bass line is completely fucking nuts listen to this sure. i'm gonna play it for you because if you if you only listen th- and if you only listen for the bass i think it's like a way more entertaining song than you might realize slapping the bass man <laughs> what do you think of the what do you think of that? Dave is a bass player. I really want to know what he thinks. I, it really pops out in the mix. It really bounces around your, your brain. Um, I'm not personally a huge fan of slap bass as a bass player. And I know that will probably rub a lot of bass players the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't like... You don't like how they rub the strings the wrong way. <laughs> I just don't like the sounds that popping and slapping uh, produce. That's what it's called. It's pop yeah. slap. See, I love it. To me, it's like musical candy. I just think it's like one of those things where you go into Sam Ash and you like try out a bass and then the guy comes and says like, oh, this bass, this bass is great. And then he does a bunch he of popping and slapping in front of you. Yeah, I know. That sound after when you hear it after a while, to me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like very grating. What do you think about it in this song, though? I think I get why they decided to have slap bass in this song. And it's a lot like, of the album, too, which we talked about uh, last time. I, I think... Um, well, in this one, it's very, in this track, it's very pronounced. It's really exaggerated. Yeah. And I, I think, <laughs> I mean, if I were to guess, I think it's just besides, you know, the overall feel, um, it's to exaggerate how much the Santa Claus character is invading yeah. the, the space well, of the song. Slap bass is funny because it's, it's like, to tie it with the song, it's like kind of like an angry gesture to be slapping your bass, <laughs> like slapping a face, but... um 
it's so silly sounding in this song. Just like the song is like this guy is so angry at his wife, but it's such a silly circumstance. So it really connects to that. The the silly, yeah. angry slap bass connects to the silly, angry lyrics, in my view. Right. Well, and, and not to say that like slap bass can't sound amazing. And, you know, technically it's uh, there's some very proficient, amazing bass players that do slap bass. But the exaggerated way they do it in this song. Dave is going to have big slap bass come after him. Yeah. I mean, I look, I learned when I was learning bass, I learned a lot of different things you can do with it. And uh, it's certainly another trick to have in your tool bag. Uh, it's just not a trick that I like. It picks the song up a notch for me. I, I think I wouldn't have liked the song as much if not for that. It, well, it definitely is like the make or break aspect of the song. And if you don't like the sound of slap bass, mm -hmm. that exaggerate like I do, it might make you like the song less, though I do understand completely why they did it. And our Christmas episode, yeah. which, by the way, I just re-listened. I fully enjoyed it. <laughs> it was, I think it might be one You're of my, my favorites so far. You said this was one of your least favorite songs on Lincoln. Yes. Say it again, because <laughs> we're talking about it again. <laughs> this and the next song, You'll Miss Me, are the two songs on oh, Lincoln. This, so this is like a, this is a sad uh, section I, of I'm Lincoln sorry, I can't get 100% behind. Part of the reason why I don't like Santa's beard is that bass sound um, <laughs> so the reason i like it okay yeah it's just it gets a little bit too goofy for me it kind of crosses a threshold where i'm it's, like it's a goofier song than the rest of lincoln I i'll give you that it's not as nuanced yeah. it kind of stands out in a topic. funny way yeah um, i'm kind of surprised it's on lincoln actually <laughs> yeah not like a early b-side yeah it doesn't seem to quite this fit. feels like it could have been a b-side whereas like a a B-side from this time, like it's not my birthday or something, yeah. could have been on the album. Lyrically. Not to subtract a Flansburg song, yeah. but let's let's pretend there's no separate songwriters kind yeah. of thing. I would say like, it's not my birthday feels very right for Lincoln. It's got that snare, it's got that yeah. soft drums and it's, you know, but well, just there's a demo version of it that is very Lincoln a Yeah, I was going to say there's a, a, a file. <laughs> if you're a fan, you pass around all these bootlegs and there is a, a file called It's Not My Birthday Lincoln Demo. And I'm it's I'll play a little bit. It's really interesting. Try and act like something else. Try to go where it's been uninvited. It's not my birthday. It's not today. It's not my birthday. So why do you lunge at it? I would like to say, though, mm -hmm. lyrically, very behind this song. Oh, really? Okay. And I, lyrically, I think it, I think it fits more the the sentiment of Lincoln lyrically than musically. Hmm. Sure. Oh, well, okay. Why? Because <laughs> you have those themes of uh, lost love. Yeah. Um, Betrayal, like the world's address. Right. Maybe this is the same guy. <laughs> Maybe but, the world is a Santa's beard. Well, it's weird because even bringing up the Santa thing, which is like a very Americana, Coca-Cola type of imagery, mm -hmm. it totally fits in with the nostalgia feel. Yeah, that's true. The ch childhood thing. Well, so it's funny. I was talking to my girlfriend, Kristen, about this song, and I was trying to get, I was like, do you have any thoughts about what we can <laughs> talk about? Because, because because me and Dave discussed it a little already, I was a little worried we wouldn't have m enough to talk about. And Kristen said, oh, well, why don't you mention it's it's a play on I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. And right. I was like, whoa, why did I not... <laughs> Well, because you How forget did I not it. Think of, yeah. Because um, you listen to They Might Be Giants so much, you forget what they're parodying. <laughs> I 
told last night She didn't see me creep down the stairs to have a peep Yeah, I've never thought about that song. I'm not super familiar with it. You know, I never really... That song is not a part of my life. Um, one thing that is funny, when Kristen first mentioned it, she said, I saw daddy kissing Santa Claus, which now that... Different song. I saw two daddies kissing Santa Claus once. Whoa, it was a porn you were watching. <laughs> <laughs> Flansburg is, is taking that kind of funny song about like, you know, there's nothing seedy happening in that song. Right, it's, it's the cutesy. idea is that it's her dad, yeah. <laughs> so it's fine. But he's taking that and, and perverting it a little, which I thought was, was something I hadn't thought about. What I was going to say was this song kind of, it almost has like a classic Del Shannon-y vibe to me in the subject matter. Like Del Shannon has a lot of songs about... A lot of sad, but like very highly fun and melodic songs about like being betrayed and, you know, being like made a fool of, you know. Right. So I, I always kind of saw this as Del Shannon-y. Oh, Dave, one thing I, I thought you would like about this song, though, I, I really like Flansburg's vocals. They're very punk to me. They're really, like, enraged. Like, they're kind of, like, doubled, you know, and it's not, he's not singing in that smooth way. Like, I really like how it's just, like, he sounds very youthful and angry in this song. So I, I always thought that was a big standout on Lincoln because the rest of Lincoln has a different, very different tone to yeah. that. So not just in the songwriting and the... But the um, the vocal performance. I saw my baby wearing Santa's beard, thrilling, Christmas, traveling fear. I saw my baby wearing Santa's beard. I wish he would go. He's breaking up my heart. No, he does have an aggression to it. Like I said, I I do like the sentiment in the song a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sentimental song. <laughs> I love the keyboard part. I love, to me, it's just kind of like a, a classic kind of like punky, poppy, like sing-along song, really. I think it's funny that they play this song live so much. They've played they, it a lot. They really like this one <laughs> over, for example. It's you probably know, fun. It sounds fun to play. I would love to play it live. But wouldn't you rather hear I've Got a Match? Yeah, I probably would. And this is another one where, man, I really love, I love Linnell's harmony in this too, especially hearing it live. It always stands out, but... It, uh, Linnell, it's to me, that's why this sounds like kind of Del shannon or like almost as like a 50s song. Like his harmony really reminds me of that style. Well, Jordan, if people want to hear more about this, please refer to our Christmas episode. Yes. Where we did delve into it. If you've already heard our Christmas episode, listen to it again. Couldn't it's, hurt. It's a good one. <laughs> so next up we have You'll Miss Me. Jordan. Look, it's hard to not smile when you're hearing this. <laughs> what do you think of that one, Jordan? I absolutely love You'll Miss Me. I yeah. did not even... Okay, when I was younger and I listened to all these albums, they were like perfect sounding <laughs> to me. So I 
I never for a second thought this song was anything other than as loved as all the other songs. <laughs> but then I, I noticed when I started going on the internet, maybe post two thousands and stuff is that there'd be these newer fans who would just be getting into them and they'd be like, I like all of their songs, except you'll miss me. <laughs> I saw yeah. that a few times. I know my girlfriend's not a fan of it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it either. Sorry to say while I respect what they were going for, what were they going for, Dave? Uh, I mean, you know, I always think back to the demo of this one. Um, and I know we want to talk about the demos on a later episode, so I won't go too much into yeah, it. This was a very prevalent demo back in their early days. Just comparatively. Which is weird to me because it's like you think Flansburg would have had others. <laughs> like, was this like the first thing he ever wrote? Because it's very, hmm. it's not really like a musical right. <laughs> song. Well, just the fact that the demo is so different tonally and a very cool, calm, collected song, but the difference between these two <laughs> versions are staggering. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'll always miss my big old body in its prime and never shoddy while bloodhounds wait. Then in the lobby you'll eulogize my big old body. You'll miss me with effigies. And I don't know if they had to hype up um, the album version to sound so much crazier because the demo was so restrained? Maybe. Uh, my theory on that is they hyped it up because Lincoln is such a warm, different thing. And uh, maybe Flansburg didn't want them to lose their edge. That That's my theory, is that he hmm. they put this on Lincoln in, you know, in this prominent spot um, between, you know... Well, yeah, between two pretty poppy songs, because he's like, we can still be as grotesque and scary and as the first album. Yeah. And obsessed right. with death. And so, look, this is one of many uh, corpse songs. This is song is from the point of view of a corpse. Uh, yeah. it's, it goes along with what I said about the lyrics on this album being easier to understand. You know, everyone listening basically knows that it's from a core. It doesn't hide it. Whereas other songs like nothing's going to change my clothes. You have to dig a little. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> or yes, pun intended. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this song is kind of like the hotel detective of Lincoln. Like mm -hmm. it's this exuberant Flansburg song. And it, it also is very film noir -y to me. It's very cinematic. It is, but production wise, there's a lot of stuff to that's harder to <laughs> that listen <hotel> to. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it's just not uh, hard to listen to. I, I just fully enjoy every second of it. Flansburg's vocals are this is a standout for me on the album because he's this is something you do not get anywhere else. On the, I mean, while I love Piece of Dirt and other softer songs and even Santa's Beard with its punky, very, it's still very musical. But to hear Flansburg just let it all out like this, I think he even said uh, in an interview somewhere he wishes it was even crazier. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that's uh, the worry here. One of the most intriguing things I think about You'll Miss Me is, is something they say in the then the earlier years liner notes. They say, quote, quote, we actually recorded a never to be released uh, You'll Miss Me with gruff voiced CBGB owner Hilly Crystal singing before we chickened out and had Flan sing it instead. Man. Chickens. And I guess hmm. chickened out meaning that 
it's just too weird to have a different vocalist do this song. Though they did have Boat of Car yeah. done. Maybe it's just longer. Maybe he sees this, this saw this more. As, maybe the fact that they did have this as an early demo on all their early releases so much is that he saw it as like some big <laughs> song for them, like a single. Yeah, I don't get they it. They did it live a lot. I mean, I don't know. It's Dave. That, <laughs> that, that is not a small person to name drop. No, that's a huge <laughs> deal. Oh, that would have been so fun to hear. Here, I've got like an interview up with him for the gruff voice. Imagine there this voice <laughs> singing. Uh, CBGB and Umfug uh, stands for uh, what I intended to do when I opened the club, which is country, bluegrass, blues, and Umfug uh, stands for uh, what I would do in case, which is other music for uplifting gourmandizers. I just really was finding that a lot of these Bands doing rock that had no place to play except in their lofts or basements. But it was just bands doing many different kinds of music, from Patti Smith and the Ramones and television, all three different, the Talking Heads. <laughs> so, well, I'm gonna what a put, great voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would have been really great, and that would have been an interesting thing to with the, the song subject matter, I guess. I mean... It'd almost be kind of sweet because when he he died, you know, at, at seventy five and you know, a few years back, and it was very sad. I remember it. I would have been like, I I would miss him. Like if that was him singing the song, right? I would listen to that and feel kind of like wistful about it. You know what I mean? Well, hearing his voice, it almost sounds like Flansburg's kind of doing an impression of it him. It sounds like when <laughs> Flansburg like does a like a computerized like lowers his, <laughs> which I know Flansburg does that in Road Movie to Berlin. He lowers the pitch of his voice, yeah. which I didn't know until recently because I am constantly reading about these songs, people. So I thought this would be a good uh, time to just talk a little bit about CBGBs and, and maybe why Flansburg would want him to do, <laughs> besides just the quality of his voice. Yeah. Um, me and Dave have both performed. Well, so Dave has performed with his punk band Dead on a Friday. Yes, and also a couple of times with my old band. Which was... The Invisibles. The Invisibles. Um, they performed at CBGB's. I've performed next door to CBGB's many times. At, yeah. It's called... C, it, it was. <laughs> that's the key word here. It was called CB's Gallery. Right. And that was for a more acoustic singer-songwriter vibe. Though, Dave, I think my songs rocked as hard as anything. Uh, yeah, they, they the permeated stage. through the wall to the real CBGB's. Yeah, that's right. Well, CBGB's was my first show ever. Mm-hmm. I saw Sick of It All when I was 15 years the old. The first show you went to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got a fake ID to <laughs> extend my age one year Yeah. to be 16 to get in, which probably did not matter at all. Yeah, I did that too to get into They Might Be Giant shows when I was 15. Um, so I don't know if there's a statute of limitations on that, but... So CBGB's is a kind of a really special place to me. I mean, I've seen dozens of shows there. A lot of my friends and bands have played there uh, for a while. I was... Really going there a lot. A um, couple early dates with my wife. I brought her to CBGB's Ooh. to see a show. Uh, Juicy details. Give it. She did not care for it much. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Though she goes to so many concerts now that it almost seems like uh, yeah. she would have had a good time doing that. The place is a little dilapidated. There's definitely a... Is it dilapidated or dilapidated? I think dilapidated. <laughs> Are you sure? No. Let's Google that. Okay. Dilapidated with a D. Hmm. Doesn't sound right. Dilapidated. <laughs> Dilapidated. Dilapidatoes. Yeah, that's, what was, that's where my mind was going. There was a undeniable 
magic to the place to me anyway i know it feels kind of like when you go inside you're kind of secluded from the rest of the world it's like you're in this kind of a you're in a kind of a gross but kind of a cool place it's almost kind of like what happens in cbgb stays in cbgb's vibe right and i i want to just say the only thing i really strongly remember there is the disgusting bathroom yes with no doors with no so it's not just yeah it's not just that it's just look most public restrooms in are disgusting especially in music venues yeah you're really catching people at their most in in uninhibited and drunk and (laughs) telling them go in this room and do gross stuff so it's just like you walk down a hall and there's a toilet. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. Like I remember, so I remember Dave had a show and we were all kind of hanging out in like the fancy <laughs> the back dressing room. Or yeah, whatever. I got to be in the green room. Yeah, there the green a couple room. Times. That's right. The green room. Though I think because of the age, I think it was more like a <laughs> brown room. <laughs> brown room. <laughs> the brown room. And I was just like, oh, I really got a, a pee. And I'm just like, nope, because <laughs> I uh, that wouldn't be an option. I walked for me. up to the door and I was like, oh, so anyone could just walk by and see. <laughs> peeing and it was it looked like a closet with a toilet in it and there was just no privacy i mean i was fine with it but. I, I, I would say the two things i could have a, a podcast about are <laughs> they might be giants and bathroom opinions yeah this is like a very common thing in my life yeah so i just think going back to having hilly crystal mm-hmm. whose name sounds like billy crystal <laughs> i hope we all appreciate that Two very different people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to have this guy that really is responsible for bringing punk music. Billy Crystal, you're talking to, about. Yeah, to the forefront. <laughs> um, and just having all these yeah, amazing. Yeah, like this punk music. <laughs> is that a good impression? No. No. Mm. Uh, I was ahead of you there. <laughs> I <yeah>. said no. <laughs> I mean, just bringing, name the immensely influential band, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. that came from New York. And it was. Through CBGBs that yeah. they were discovered. I mean, Blondie, Television, uh, the Ramones, of course, Talking Heads. Talking Heads is, is the I, I There's one of those. If I could go back in time, I'd love to go to those those shows. It must have been amazing. I mean, I've met a couple of people, you know, that older people that have been there in that time period in New York. Yeah. They just say like any day of the week. You know who I met that told me about that? Who? I played a show once and on the lineup after me was the son of Talking Heads drummer, Chris Franz. Uh-huh. Chris Franz and Tina Weymouth, because they're a couple, yeah, they're yeah. married. <laughs> Their son was on was performing after me at the lineup. Uh, this is a show I did. And so I don't know if uh, Chris Franz saw my set, but I actually recognized him because I'm a big Talking Heads nerd. Yeah, yeah. And I went, holy motherfucking fucking shit fuck. <laughs> I was freaking the hell out. Yeah. I was really freaking out. And I watched his sunset. He did kind of like a weird, like DJ kind of weird stuff. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. But afterwards, we were all hanging out outside the venue. We walked around the city a little. I was talking to the <laughs> Talking Heads drummer, Chris yeah. France. And I was just like kind of, I don't know if I was venting, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's so hard. Like, I, like it's, I seem to be playing to a lot of empty rooms. You know, it's not hard to get people out. And he's like... Yeah, when we played at CBGB's, uh, there was like 20 people there. And I'm just like, he's relating to me. Yeah. <laughs> like he's saying we because he knows that I know that he's the Talking Heads guy. And uh, it was really surreal because he's like, I'm like, we're we're meeting halfway in this uh, t- talking about getting people to come to your show. And I'm me and he's a talking head. <laughs> right. Well, Dave, so one other, before we move on and we are going, I swear to you, we will. Something I thought was something funny that we once talked about was the CBGB's movie. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted Dave to uh, <laughs> talk about that. 
Because <laughs> so they made a movie about Hilly Crystal, and it's, right. I think it's on Netflix. It's where fine movies are found. <laughs> um, but uh, wow, is this movie a piece of shit? Uh, Dave, take it from there. I didn't. <laughs> so I watched a couple minutes of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, really? I skimmed through it. Yeah. After Dave told me about it, I skimmed through it. And, you know, I like Alan Rickman. I think he's a good actor. He plays Hilly Crystal. That's right. I I love, um, what is is that genre called? Not a... Rockumentary? Yeah. I love rockumentaries. (laughs) I I love movies that follow, like, you know, the underdog uh, rising up. Yeah, because a lot of it is, and I, you know, we're certain much of this is fictionalized. (laughs) Probably. A lot of it is just like, you can't open a club that plays rock music in New York <laughs> Rock City? and or roll? What are you thinking? <laughs> and, you know, I'm watching it. And it's fine. It's yeah. like, it's like oh, the talking heads get electrocuted. And, and he's like, oh, this place is awesome. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's funny. There's a scene where he goes, this bathroom will have no door. Trust me. <laughs> this will be great. <laughs> it's one thing people hate about bathrooms, it's the door. It's the doors. So the movie, very jarringly, mm. <laughs> uh, stops mid-frame turns into a comic book because uh, cbgb's was like a comic yeah, book what? first of all it doesn't relate to anything and the fucking this is hilarious the me. warriors re-release movie they did that did too. the same fucking oh, thing well, we can have a whole movie podcast why don't people understand that <laughs> to not do that so movies did hulk, don't need panels so did angley's hulk movie uh, so it's yeah anytime movies are real life comic books <laughs> they're moving pictures <laughs> you don't so, need to you don't need to have forced frames and panels when we're watching something moving and the frames are going and causing a movie to happen the whole point of sequencing your story through a series of panels that are frozen in time but one after the other they create the illusion of time passing exactly is, it's is supposed it's, to imitate it, what a fucking moving picture does yeah or or life you, you know so it, life <laughs> yeah we're moving right now dave what so i thought that was hilarious the movie's very bad it's very um but the other th- i'm sorry to cut it, you off no please uh, oh well i never cut you off dave <laughs> <laughs> no but the other thing besides um stylistically that being jarring and un- unnecessary <laughs> they add captions mm. on top of it oh, like, thought bubbles <laughs> Thought bubbles, <laughs> captions, maybe both. Um, Hilly Crystal like has some has a thought bubble pop up like this guy's being a jerk. <laughs> it's so stupid. Well, it's just it's, it's like for babies. It's dictating the way. It's you like, should, oh, is this movie too boring for you? No, it's dictating the way you're supposed to like feel about the characters, and it's yeah, very manipulative. About a little ambiguity or something. I don't We're just mind trusting the audience to get the point of a scene. Ugh. I don't mind being manipulated by like a master, like a Kubrick or a, a David Lynch say until like, oh, now I feel this yeah. way. But this is literally a caption above Hilly Crystal in a panel going like, go, Hilly, go. Oh, it's so stupid. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Well, I don't so, need and, to and the whole idea, anymore. it's actually the same thing that the Warriors director said is like, oh, it always was supposed to have a comic book punk vibe. But it's like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't think so. Like What? Like the R. Crumb documentary doesn't have like panel, right. like it's just a film. Well, comic book movies don't have it. Yeah, most of them. They shouldn't anyway. So we should move on. We can talk a lot about this. We should move on though. Because By the way, guys, The Warriors is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, yeah, everybody just should watch don't The watch, Warriors. Don't watch the director's cut because it's so bad. Yeah, make up your own mind. The other thing I, I hate about the CBGB's movie is, you know, <laughs> oh, still. they picked some a few interesting actors to play these famous bands, like the the David Byrne guys. It's not great, but it's like okay, I'll I'll buy that you're David Byrne. But then he's like, he's like, this song is called blah blah blah, and then cut to 
the album version. Oh, yeah, we talked about that, too. Yeah, perfect, pristine. Perfect studio. The the only album version of the song. It's not even finding some old live version, yeah, which you can yeah. easily... I have it. I should have emailed them. So it's like, it's so idiotic because the whole point that you're, you would want to express about CBGBs is how raw it was. Yeah, yeah. And the movie is the opposite of raw. It's just like, here's the... This is Talking Heads' first ever show. Hear how they sound just like the album version? No, yeah. they didn't. They built to that over time. They were a little rough. Anyway. <laughs> I could go on, but uh, I saw some of the last shows at CBGB's the week before they closed. Oh, um, yeah. It's a very special place to me. Yeah, but Dave, aren't you happy that now it's like an old Navy or whatever the fuck it is? I'm happy a that... Subway. <laughs> I'm happy that I always have the memories of it yeah. being in a time and place, and perhaps if it kept going, maybe it would have just, you know, disintegrated more and more into something not special. I don't know. I think the Subway that's in its place is very raw and punk <laughs> and special. It, Okay, so let's let's move on. You see my teeth and the stars above, every tree a finger of my glove, and every time push comes to shove, you'll see my teeth and the stars above. Cards on the table. This is a rap song, right, Dave? Is it? Is it? I don't know. Sure. I mean, this is a look. What else could it be? It's a rap song. He's rapping, right? I just think it's a weird atonal song. It's funny. It's almost like what soul coughing is, which is a mix between hip hop and jazz jazz. So that's, yeah, that's like what, mm. and soul and pop and stuff. So it's kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's a really like drunk jazzy mm. sound in the background and it really goes well with the narrative of this angry corpse. Hmm. Maybe you're convincing me. I like the lyrics. Yeah. Well, what are, what are some lyrics you like from it, Dave? It must be raining because a man ain't supposed to cry. Yeah. That's that hit home for you. Dave. <laughs> Anything involving like uh, not letting your emotions out. Yeah, the kind <laughs> really? of manly thing yeah. of keep, you know, the, the idea that we're supposed to keep our emotions in or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's an Boy, interesting. That's a deep one. And sometimes, you know, in the earlier versions, it'd be like, I look up and I don't see a cloud anywhere in Ooh. the sky. Or I was like, well, we get it. <laughs> I get why you cut that out <laughs> at the end. Um, I love the line, morticians wait with a shovel and a fork. That really is like a nightmare. It kind of was like a Jacob's Laddery <laughs> kind of feel, right? It's like a surrealist, um, scary take on what it would be like to be a corpse. You think you're going to eat them? Because, yeah, like the fork imagery is like, it's just everyone's just feasting, right? Uh, like feasting on yeah. his the remains of his life and his whatever, his body. It's going to be metaphorical, but it's that's always one of my favorite. That line to me is one of those lines where it's like, yeah, maybe other bands would have a song about it, like an angry corpse from the, you know, feels betrayed. And, and this ties into Santa's beard and world's address. I mean, this guy clearly feels betrayed, hmm. right? It's like a, definitely a lover's spat that went very badly, but I feel like ha Flansburg, yeah, Flansburg's a great lyricist. Like having that extra surreal touch to it is what makes it a, they might be giant song. Yeah. That's what makes it stand out mm -hmm. from your, your typical anger song. And also the, I love the the musical part of the the very jazzy musical bridge. You'll see my teeth. In the, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I love? It's a subtle effect. They have like this distortion on their voice that almost makes it sound like it's coming from like an old vinyl. You know, like right, I, yeah. like it's not. It's like not very good quality. That's in, that's such a subtle, interesting effect. You know, like I, I'm always interested in how you voice that to like your producer. Like, oh, make it sound like this, right? What do you think of the line, uh, you'll see my teeth in the stars above? Uh, so that's what I'm saying. That whole section that, yeah, like it's kind of almost like the Cheshire cat, right? Yeah. Like Alice in Wonderland. -y. 
every tree a finger of my glove. It's like he's, yeah, I mean, part or is of it, every star a tooth? Yeah. It's disturbing. <laughs> I've noticed Dave goes very literal with these yeah, lyrics. Yeah. Whereas to me, it's like the metaphor of, you know, if, if someone is haunting you from beyond the grave, um, that's like they're every, like the song, I'll be haunting you. Hmm. It's like, it's like they're everywhere and the whole world is them. And they're, they're just like following you all around. It's very um, classic horror. It's almost like Hitchcockian. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of Twilight zone And so that's why to me, this is like one of their most successful songs. <laughs> to me, this album would be far lesser without it because it, it's one thing to have an album be really consistent, but I think it's important to switch gears. I'm not against the switching gears because I, I agree. It's like good to have variety in your sequencing, mm-hmm. but it's just too much. <laughs> but it certainly is thematically consistent with the other Flandrix yeah, No, I, I like the, the lyrics a lot. One thing that I thought was funny is I'll play this clip for you. That song was originally called The Landlord Song, but we had to change it for fear of never being able to find a steady place to live. <laughs> I think a lot of times Flansburg is just joking, but sometimes they make me wonder, like, is this a landlord's song? Wow, that adds a whole other thing. It could, it. it might. I mean, but then then they play, um, they'll need a crane after that. I think like Linnell says, uh, this is also a, a, was called the landlord song. Uh, so it's kind of funny. I mean, they, this does come up in a lot of their songs throughout their career is the idea of the apartment building, the landlord, uh, sketchy galore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, we live in a dump, right? There's like a lot of that that comes up a few times. So going from You'll Miss Me to the next song, which is uh, quite, a, quite a shift. They'll need a crane. Love sees love's happiness. But happiness can't see the love is sad, the love is sad. Sadness is hanging there. To show love somewhere, something needs a change. They need a change. They'll need a crane, they'll need a crane. To take the house he built for her apart to make it break. It's gonna take a metal ball hung from a chain. Got it by toilet paper. Which brings us to, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, how, Dave. uh, How's it going? (laughs) They'll need a crane. Okay, so, wow. Um, So, I think first I'm going to try to not look at my notes, so just so we can have, like, a real talk about it. Look at me, Jordan. Uh, Instantly regretting that idea. It's not your fault. So, Dave, they'll need a, (laughs) we should rename the show So Dave. Well, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) They'll need a crane. Wow. So, this song is... God. So Lincoln is a really good album. <laughs> right? It's pretty good. Lincoln's a really good album. Um, one of the reasons Lincoln is a really good album is because of songs like They'll Need a Crane. That's a good song, if you ask me. Well, we already talked about this is another in the Linnell Heartbreak series. Yeah, and this is even more... Super so, heavy. As much as I said like how Anna Ng's lyrics are, are understandable and a lot of Linnell's lyrics on this album are understandable... I actually think like Flansburg is being a little more obtuse mm-hmm. on this album than Linnell, which I think he does in later albums too. This song is even more like everyone can really take it in pretty, pretty on the first listen. Yeah. You know, there's not much um, cryptic to it. Using the, the terms lad and gal, it's like makes it universal, right? It's yeah, just more like, I don't know, storybook. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like it's like when you play a video Limerick. game and you don't have a name in the you know it's like you're the you're the avatar in the game and it's you know I'm sure that's what Linnell was <laughs> no but uh, 
saying like lad and gal is just like, it's about you. It's about someone, you know, the interesting thing Dave brought up uh, off mic or whatever was that in gigantic, their manager implies very, very, this goes by very quickly, but he says that it's based on Linnell's parents. I went to see a woman in EMI and she was like, you know, these guys are so, so funny. You know, I just played her um, the song, They'll Need a Crane. And I said, well, actually, I, I think, you know, the song is kind of sad, They'll Need a Crane. I think it's about a divorce and it might even be about one of the John's parents, you know. Uh, and uh, she said, that's it. They're funny, but they're sad. That struck a chord with me, even though it, although my parents didn't get divorced, but for some reason. <laughs> Not yet, so. Yeah, we'll see. Future's <laughs> unwritten, folks. Um, that struck a chord with me just because I always loved the song, and that, when he said that, I was that's like, holy a, shit, the, that's a big bomb to drop as a, another bomb. level yeah. to this song. If true, which Jordan was a little skeptical <laughs> No, I about. think it's probably true, and, and, um, and I, I've said before, I mean, I think lyrics work on a subconscious level, even for They Might Be Giants, yeah. who I think rewrite and rewrite and rewrite lyrics. But yeah, I think even if Linnell was unaware of it at the time, or even, or sometimes you halfway through writing, you go, oh shit, <laughs> you, mm. you know what it's about all of a sudden. That's happened to me a thousand times. So we, we're determined to not like dig into their personal lives because we think that's a little distasteful. I mean, if it's true, it does spin a lot of other songs about relationships he writes. In a yeah, and the only reason way. we are is because this, you know, it was in the documentary, so it's like... Right, they chose to leave that in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's revealing. It was shocking at, to see that because they're they're pretty withholding about personal relationships and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, sometimes Flansburg has alluded to like an, a weird relationship he's had. Like, I think he talked about creepy. The monopuff song <laughs> was about like, this was about a messed up relationship. I had, I want this podcast to be kind of like TMBG approved in a way. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to get too like uncomfortably a close. nice place for nice people. So now I'll look at my notes. This song musically continues like the, the really nice harmonies that I keep mentioning. This album has Flansburg going like, they'll need a crane. Cause, cause I really think of the first album as like these grotesque vocals and yeah. really in your face, but Lincoln, the way it's mixed is like, it's kind of reverby and nice, you know, he's Flansburg's harmonies and sound are like so sweet sounding. And this is, this is another one of those examples. It is a very sweet sounding song about a uncomfortable topic. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's like a pop hit, honestly. Like, this is this is them not really, they're not really pretending to be a pop band. <laughs> they're not being like an artsy, you know, this is just like a true, genuinely beautiful, catchy, because even Anna yeah. Ng has that, those weak chords, you know, like, eh, 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 it still, it still has that TMBG askew feel, right? This song... The only thing I would say has that is like the drum machine <laughs> is the only aspect of this song that's like that's slightly off thing. Cause like one thing I love is the hi hat in this song. For, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So it's like, they'll need a, they'll need a, that's like for some reason that's, I, that really sticks out to me. I love, and, and what's funny is if you watch the music video, that old guy on the drums is doing everything. Yeah. He's really doing that stuff. And it's crazy because the drum part in this song is really specific and interesting. Was that the guy that's an old drummer or was he playing an old drummer? He's an old drummer. Okay. He's a real old drummer. Cool. 
He's a real old drummer, cool cat. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they wanted a sweet, nice song about a divorce. And especially after You'll Miss Me on the album. That's something else. I, right. I also want to discuss like the placement of the songs. because I was thinking about that too, especially having shoehorn with teeth after. after <laughs> it's it, a sandwich. <laughs> oh man, it's, that, that's like a palate cleanser almost because it's mm-hmm. like you have this really heavy song and then kind of going to this slightly sillier thing. Yeah, it will, or almost just on a musical level. I mean, changing it up. I really think both John and John are really what makes, this is a, obviously sounds redundant, but it's like, it's what makes the band is that you'll miss me and shoehorn with teeth is like, it's not They Might Be Giants without those those side trips yeah. <laughs> to like create wacky land. But Linnell's like ability to just do these like beautiful moving pop songs is, is as, they're both as important in yeah. my mind. What do you think it would be like if, let's say, there was an album of, like, 14 beautiful Linnell pop songs? It'd almost be like, I don't know, do you think it'd Too be like... overwhelming. Yeah, or you'd be like, okay, I get it, like, but you need, you need to, like, kind of be distracted from it a little. Sequencing is a very important element to the album, to any album. Yeah. To the concept of an album. And you need the highs and lows, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, it's like a roller coaster, if it's constantly on... yeah. You know, the scre- every song can't be the best song. Exactly. But some it's I always think about this a lot actually. I was thinking about this when I was sequencing my new album. Cause I you know, my girlfriend was saying, like, why don't you just make it all your best songs? Because I have like a giant batch of songs, right? And I chose like Oh, they're all the best songs, aren't they? <laughs> Thank you. But no, I chose like twelve of a million songs. And I'm just like, because I want there to be songs that are not as good so that people kind of discover them and be like, oh, but I like this more than the than the good one. You know what I mean? I think there's a difference between good song and single. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I, you know, it might be some intangible quality that makes a song a single that uh, mm. maybe a universality, um, maybe yeah, something know. that everybody connects to. But that's like a melody thing. Right, which is... That's what I would say. Something that you tune into that your brain just locks into automatically but then there are songs that are good songs that maybe need more digging yeah and sometimes like often my favorite i mean we're gonna get to miscellaneous tea soon it's like those songs are songs left off these albums yeah and i (laughs) i listened i listened to miscellaneous tea as much if not more than these albums like i carried the cassette around and you know it's a, to me these are their album songs because that's how I experienced it. So they, they don't feel lesser. And even on the album stuff, like, well, I know you you were in crazy about you'll miss me, but no, I, I think it's like a great. <laughs> I think it's a great experience listening to it. You know, one line uh, really resonates with me. Uh, Gal's gladness hangs upon the love of lad. Yeah, Ugh. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, it, it this song really lays out like all the things not to do in a relationship. <laughs> It's also interesting he used the word hangs twice because he says sadness is hanging there. Gal's gladness hangs upon the level. Of, I don't know. Is that is that anything, people? <laughs> you, you can't rely on the other person to make you happy. You yeah. have to make yourself happy first. Then you'll be... I rely on Dave to make me happy. Well, of course. The world does. It's a lot of pressure. Dave, honestly, I know this this isn't healthy, but I, I think I'm only happy if I get like a like on Twitter for something. <laughs> do you think the hanging thing is because of just the idea of like a construction site with cranes and the way that it's like like a giant like rope or whatever it's not a rope you know what i mean i think it could be that i think it could be the motif they use a lot yeah <laughs> i was gonna i was wondering about that but i don't know if it was like a stretch because it's not really the song isn't so much about death as it is about just it's things not, that make you want to <laughs> die <laughs> right it's not but i think they like using certain words that have um 
a dread behind them. Yeah. Oh, well, there you, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, this whole song, like I said, it's it's not really hiding the sadness the way some of their songs kind of do. They kind of some of the songs stuff the sadness in a little <laughs> in a little pocket and you got to kind of dig for it. But this is just I'm just looking at the lyrics, not that I don't know the lyrics, but people when you've got the record button on, it's uh, a <laughs> your brain stops yeah. working. It's really <laughs> weird. It's it's strange. I hear you. Yeah, some things Gal says to Lad aren't men as bad but cause a little pain. That's like every relationship <laughs> I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, honestly, man. it's a really relatable thing. You're not trying to hurt someone's feelings that hard, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but the, some things they say, it's like, oh, my God. A lot of times people don't know what makes someone else upset either, yeah. even knowing them so long. Or the as I'm finding out lately, even the person themselves doesn't know why they react a certain way. But sometimes... Mm-hmm. Especially lately, like someone will tell me something and I'll be like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'd get like thicker skin over time? But sometimes I feel like <laughs> it's going the other way. I don't know. I wish that I could jump out of my thin skin. I think it's how much you address when these things bother you in the first place over years and years. So mm. I, I think it's the kind of thing that can build up and come out at strange times. So in other words, as you as you get older, it doesn't mean like you get used to something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I wanted to talk about the bridge because this to me is like the best. It's brutal. <laughs> this is like the best bridge in a They Might Be Giant song. I used to be particularly um, obsessed with it. I used to tell people to, as a way to get people into the band. I used to be like, they have this this bridge. <laughs> or I didn't say bridge, but I was to like. To die for. <laughs> yeah. You've got to try the bridge. I used to just be like, here are lyrics that are amazing. Play that shit. Don't call me at work again, no, no, the boss still hates me, I'm just tired, and I don't love you anymore, and there's a restaurant we should check out where the other nightmare people like to go, I mean nice people, baby, wait, I didn't mean to say nightmare. I want to go line by line, Dave, don't call me at work again. I just had this conversation (laughs) (laughs) after a long time together. It's it's funny because me and and my girlfriend, something that comes up a lot is we'll be watching like a movie and, you know, like in a rom-com or something, like someone will like show up at the person's job like this. Oh, you know, so they get fired. So, but the the show (laughs) love on Netflix, it's a show I actually think is, is very good. And there's a part where like, you know, Gillian Jacobs shows up at Paul Rust's job at the end of the, you know, one of the scenes. And she's just like, you, we have to settle this fight now. And he's like, I'm at work. And yeah. <laughs> I remember me and my girlfriend had like a big debate. Cause she's like, she's like the worst thing you can do <laughs> is go to someone's job and, and do that kind of thing. And I was like, well, it's just, she loves him. And he like, and I, I kind of get what she means though. Cause it is like, it's kind of like a no, no go zone of, screwing up someone's like financial, you know, I mean, you could do it and then you could also get fired right after. Yeah. But, and but your then choice saying, don't call me at work again. Uh, the, re- the reason I love this, oh, there's so many reasons I love this bridge. Okay. Don't call me at work again. No, no. The boss still hates me. He's saying, don't call me at work again. You're supposed to imagine the response of the other person being, right. having their feelings hurt. Right. Getting upset. Saying, well, you don't want me to call you. And then you? He, he backpedals. And then he says, <laughs> no, no. They say their stuff is an autobiographical. 
this is this is right out of of life to me. And that's clearly an excuse. <laughs> oh no no, it's just the boss hates the me. The boss hates me. He doesn't. He, you know, come on. He's saying, oh, the boss hates me. He doesn't want me. He's keeping a hard. You know, he's keeping an eye on me. He doesn't <laughs> want me doing that. And then he says, I'm just. <laughs> so then it, this is funny. And then more excuses. <laughs> and by funny, I mean horribly sad. He goes, I'm just tired. That's an excuse. And I don't love you. <laughs> it's almost like a punchline. It's uh, yeah. almost like a knock, knock. Who's there? I don't love you. <laughs> but it's so sad. I mean, God, to me, this is like, if you're to like bury, they might be giants and only have like a few examples of their, their lyrics. This would be up there for me. This, this is up there with like Anna Ng for me. It's like a, you know, one of the best things they've done. So he's. And then trying to turn it around. So then he goes, oh, that thing I just said about not loving you anymore. Forget I said that. We should go out, have a date night. There's a restaurant we should check out <laughs> where, where the other nightmare people like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so he keeps, so yeah. this bridge, he keeps going back and forth. I'm hurting your feelings. Sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm going to hurt your feelings again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. So he says, we should check out where the other nightmare people like to go. I mean, nice people, baby weight. I didn't mean to say nightmare. You know, for some reason, I always imagined a, a woman saying this part. I always imagined, I guess because Linnell is a man. Yeah. Is that, oh, that's confirmed, right? <laughs> My point being just like, just I want to know whose point of view it's from, because that really changes who's on the defensive and who's on the offensive. Guys, can you hear that wind? It's really windy. I'm just going to say that to cover our, our butts in case people are like, what is that horrifying <laughs> and terrifying noise? We really shouldn't have recorded this episode on an old wooden ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Land ho, Edward ho. I've always related to those lines personally, so I've always just envisioned me talking to a girl <laughs> for those lines because I've I've had the, that kind See, of... See, I imagine being on the other end of the conversation. I've been on both sides. I've been in relationships where I'm, I want out, and I've been in relationships where the other person wants out. And it, it is like that. It's really like that. And the other thing musically about the bridge is like the beautiful acoustic guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Something I really love that's kind of a subtle thing is that acoustic guitar, then it doesn't stop. It continues till the rest of the song. It doesn't, isn't that, does that say something to you? Because to me, that just says like this feeling in the bridge is continuing and it's not resolving. Right. You know, it's, it's it like lingering. that acoustic guitar, that, that sad bridge continues into the next few lines. And then the next, the rest of the song has that jangly acoustic guitar. And you don't really hear Flansburg playing that style, that that folky songwritery acoustic guitar style. Usually Flansburg is doing something a little more punk sounding, right? Yeah. Or jerky sounding like the jerky boys. Dave, what do you think of the jerky? <laughs> well, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, but what I wanted to also mention was the Jim beam line. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dave, you're an expert in, uh, alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, Jim beam. What does that say to you? That line? It's uh, whiskey, right? Is Jim Beam whiskey? Yeah. Yeah, I actually have the Wikipedia open. I'm more uh I'm like a I'm like a Wikipedia holic. I'm more beer guy than a hard liquor guy. Jim Beam is a brand of bourbon whiskey. Yeah. Produced in Clermont, Kentucky. Hey, what the Ain't nothing compares to Jim Beam. Finest Kentucky bourbon since seventeen ninety five. The king of whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's just take a time out for our sponsor. If if you love drinking whiskey and you like your whiskeys to have a man's name so that it can be used in a line in a song <laughs> in a double meaning, then drink Jim Beam. We should take triple this, meaning. Sorry. We should take this time to point out we want sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> 
the Jim Beam thing, uh, well, for obviously he's saying that she's taken to drink, right? Right. Well, the other idea is beam is a pun because yeah. of a beam of a steel beam, like in a con- they'll yeah. what you would carry on a crane in a construction site. It ain't that neat? <laughs> I don't know how I don't have loads to say about that, but I just love Linnell's Linnell's songs are these just like you know you get these little Christmas presents of of wordplay to unwrap. You know, I think it's neat. I think that I think the word neat is neat. I agree with that. So remember, I told you the story about me playing O Tannenbaum my music class yeah i was going through my old journal from high school (laughs) yeah i made it up i was going through my old journal in high school i will show you the the page from my journal so this is from june 3rd 1999 handwritten journal today was a big day i had to present an oral report (laughs) on germany to my music class so i brought in an accordion and planned to perform o tannenbaum i did and there was huge applause (laughs) so my memory of that by the way i was worried my memory was inflating (laughs) because i had said in the episode everyone was freaking out and applauding so that really happened well kudos then my teacher told me to do more songs i did cage an aquarium and they'll need a crane well you knew those on accordion yeah apparently and then i wrote the class was screaming at me to do more so by the way my journal was very honest so if that didn't happen i would have said that it sucked no one liked it i I believe (laughs) yeah the the class was screaming at me to do more it was an incredible experience i performed okay i actually sang loud and well and the class was really getting into it they were enjoying it and laughing and it was great and then I talk about a crush I had telling me that that was cool. Oh, let's hear that. No, part. no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, wow, I did Cajun Aquarium and they'll need a crane. And I don't even remember. I, I, when I read that, it, the memory sparked a little. I was like, oh, yeah. I wonder if I did it well. Like, did I mess up? Like, I did the bridge and everything. That must have been kind of crazy yeah. for my class. I was about to say for my fans. <laughs> <laughs> I also can't believe I left that out of the story that I took because it's directly related to the yeah. Giants, but I just didn't remember at all. What do you, what do you think of that, Dave? You ever notice it's hard to react to a story that just goes well? Yeah. Someone's like, I had a great day yesterday. I People tell I me found, that I'm just like, good. I, I found 10 books. You know, okay. Good for you. All right. Well, this was like literally the only good day I had in high school for four <laughs> years. So no, I'm not. I just genuinely am like, oh, I'm okay. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you, I, I know it sounds more sarcastic than it is. I'm sure that wasn't easy to do. Call off the wedding band. Nobody wants to hear that one again. Play that again. The other thing that ties things together on Lincoln is the, the line at the end. Nobody wants to hear that one again. Play that again. Yeah. That reminds me of the broken record line in Anna Ng. It's like the same kind of idea, which is that we're stuck. (laughs) We're stuck in this loop of of sadness and we can't get out of it. We're stuck in the past too. We're stuck in the past. We're well, we're stuck in our present situation and and we don't know how to get out except to, to take it all apart. But the idea of like a broken record, everything sticks like a broken record and then play that again. Those two things, ideas connect. I think that's really clever. This, you know, it's that, that meta thing of, the song we're in is is trapping us in this situation and we can't get out. And They'll Need a Crane doesn't fade out. I, I actually mm. think it's important that it doesn't fade out because what it does do is it stops and then you hear the reverb trail off. And by the way, I just love when a song does that because yeah. you don't really hear the reverb while the song's happening too clearly because there's so much other instruments. But then when it stops and you hear it trail off, you're like, oh, they were using that reverb. <laughs> it's kind of a ghostly effect. They'll need a crane. 
Yeah, and it kind of shows that, like, whereas Anna Ng fade out kind of shows how this is going to continue on and on and not resolve, that they'll need a crane ending with the reverb trailing off shows, like, this ends, this this relationship ends, right. and all we can really, we can try to grasp at the last, the tiny last bits of it, but it's going to trail out and fade very quickly. You know what I mean? It ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because it doesn't go like, they'll need a crane, and then it's just like silence. It's like you hear the little bit, little bit of that ghostly reverb. I think that's, I think that's special. Special, special. Man, I'm fucking sad. Well, Dave, I'm going to cheer you up because this next song is kind of a guide to being cheered up, and it's called Shoehorn with Teeth. He wants a shoehorn, the kind with teeth. People should get beat up for stating their beliefs. He wants a shoehorn, the kind with teeth. Cause he knows there's no such thing. He asks a girl if they can both sit in a chair, but he doesn't get nervous. She's not really there. He wants a shoehorn. This this is an amazing song, <laughs> Dave. This is a wacky song. Well, uh, I have a few points to go over about it. But Please. What do you... Oh, you want me to just go? Um, one thing I think is interesting, they're not harmonizing. They're both singing the same thing. Ah, yeah. that to me is like it reminds me of like a kindergarten class yeah, yeah. like everyone's singing and the way they sing their separate verses they're playing up the playfulness of it like he asked a girl right like, it's like it seems like a, a song that like a school teacher would teach children and what's funny to me about that is they played this song at their children's concerts <laughs> oh really i couldn't i couldn't seem to find a, a clip of this uh i'm sorry guys but it was either a, a bootleg I heard or a kid's show or just or something. And they played Shoehorn with Teeth. And before the song, Flansberg was like, this is a good song to play if your child is a Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, what, well, one thing I was like, they really don't want to be doing kids shows. Yeah. <laughs> I think they not don't want to be doing it, but I feel like their true heart is with speaking to adults. <laughs> the kids thing is a little absurd to them because they the funny thing about they might be giants and the kids music which we're, we're going to talk about in a future episode but it's like they can't really their concerts especially it's they don't put on like a happy kids face right <laughs> they still kind of have that sarcastic wry cynical <laughs> face so saying this is a song if your child is either a satanist or going to grow up to be a satanist it's like that's one for the parents. <laughs> I bet a couple kids in the audience appreciated it, though. Yeah, I'm sure there was some chuckles. <laughs> I think if I was a kid, I would have laughed. I mean, I liked like yeah. kids in the hall and stuff when I was a kid. <laughs> so, I might have gotten that. Depends how young. So I also thought that was one of the only things Flansburg's ever said about the lyrical content of the song. I don't know if it's literally about a Satanist, but maybe? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Dave, Dave, what do you think about this song? I have to say... Uh, I, while I appreciate the individual lyrics in this one, I don't know if I can really grasp an overarching theme. It's a tough one. Yeah. I, I love a tough cookie. <laughs> I love the lyric. Uh, people should get beat up <laughs> for stating their what, Now, Dave, what, what's your stance on that? Uh, I think they should. Pro, re- con? <laughs> uh, in this day and age, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think people should get beat up for stating their beliefs. I'm going to say they should then. Okay, so me and Dave, this is this is point counterpoint. My point is, 
is if you say that you should beat someone up for stating their beliefs, that that rule extends to you know almost to anyone. You can't. It's, that doesn't only extend to bad people. It yeah. also extends to good people. So I feel like a hard line, a no beating people up, is probably good. Probably. Look, I'm not. A, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm saying this is just probably the right thing. Dave, you think innocent people should be taken out into the streets and beaten? Uh, defend your point. That's right, Jordan. <laughs> been my experience there are no innocent people <laughs> that's fair point dave, <laughs> dave lives in a film noir where there is no innocent angel faces with demon hearts <laughs> so there's a fan theory I, i'm kidding by by the way <laughs> i hope that was cool. i hope you people realize we like to kid on this show i remember a fan theory it was a pretty light fan theory but it was like do you think this each the the verse that each john is singing is about the other john <laughs> tour the world in a heavy metal band but they run out of gas the plane can never land he wants a shoe so Linnell is singing about being in a rock band flansburg's in in interviews has said like i in the 80s when we played a duo he's like i saw us as a rock band yeah Linnell didn't Linnell saw it as i think a Maybe maybe pop or whatever, just like an art pop band. And Linnell and Flansburg was like, yeah, we're rocking out. We're a rock band. You know, I, I mentioned that quote that I love from him when he said, why are they laughing? Why is the audience <laughs> laughing? Because he's like, we're just rocking them out. What's the problem? So some fans think that Linnell's verse is about a rock band. And some fans kind of extrapolate from Flansburg's verse that Linnell is a shy weirdo <laughs> who, yeah. who is trouble uh, speaking to girls. I think that's kind of a reach. I'm sure Linnell does fine for himself <laughs> or did fine for himself. But I do think that's funny. I could kind of see it. I could kind of see it. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I don't think I'm convinced. Yeah, I, it 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 has a slight touch of it, but I, I think it's I think it's too presumptuous to say. Like I did see some fans like say it as if it's a fact. Like this is about you know I I don't think so. You know I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It's probably some stuff is about their own personal there, beliefs, but yeah, or there I might mean, have been loose inspiration. That yeah, they're so it might have good been like at, an exaggeration. They're so good at observation and you know seeing quirks in other people too. That's true. They have a lot of songs about other people. We'll, we'll definitely get to that a lot. Dave, do you have any opinion on shoehorns? <laughs> do you think the song has anything to do with whatever, like anything about a shoehorn, or is it just like, is it just like Mad Libs, right? <laughs> like object, we need an object. I mean, I assumed, I thought the point was just to come up with a most absurd thing as... Mm -hmm. Like Dr. Seuss kind of... Yeah, sort of a way to say how absurd people act. Mm -hmm. What's funny about if a shoehorn had teeth, that would really hurt. Right. <laughs> You'd be... So what, people Who are might, these people that need shoehorns, by the way? You can't get your shoe on? I never understood I the point. I didn't know what a shoehorn was when I first heard the song. I did, and it made me mad. Yeah, I eventually realized, or realized, <laughs> it came to me in a dream i eventually found <laughs> out that a shoehorn is it's like a little thing you stick past your heel to pop your foot Dumb. out of your shoe well look sometimes your foot can't get out of that shoe maybe if you're 90 so if it had teeth that would hurt so i think it could the satanist like masochist kind of person yeah who wants to hurt themselves he wants a shoehorn the kind with teeth maybe that's maybe we're gonna crack the song dave Saying you want to hurt yourself every time you want to get your foot out of your shoe is pretty funny. It's pretty interesting. Well, in the same vein, I see, but the line that follows right after is because he knows there's no such thing. Like a person. Uh, yeah. He wants something that he knows can't happen. It's kind of like what I'm like. But he also <laughs> I wants. I want this podcast to be popular. <laughs> but it's like he also wants to put the obligation on other people like 
like a challenge. Like, I dare you make this thing. You know, it doesn't exist, which is also kind oh, yeah, of he, he wants it asshole thing to do. Sure. He, he just wants it to exist. Yeah. But it's not going. It never will. He knows it can't. I mean, maybe it's about being in that just that self-defeating loop of like when you want. I mean, there's a Smith song. I, I want the one I can't have. It's just it's kind of that same kind of thing. Right. It's just like. Yeah. You already know you can't have the thing, but you're not going to stop wanting it. And you're just going to kind of exist like that forever. And then you'll, you'll die. <laughs> Actually, this is the most I've ever realized about this song ever, really. Well, it ties into the verses of things so let's people go, want and can't get. So let's get into that. Uh, Dave, I want, I think, I think in the tradition of the song, maybe you should you take sh- a verse. Yeah. You take a verse and I'll take the other one. He asks a girl if they can both sit in a chair, but he doesn't get nervous. She's not really there. Again, trying to get a thing that doesn't exist. So do you know what this that verse reminds me of? Speaking to a, a girl who isn't there. There's a poem, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, called Antigonish. I'm reading this from the wiki for it, but it's an 1899 poem by American educator and poet William Hughes Mearns. It's also known as The Little Man Who Wasn't There. Dave, I'm going to creep you the hell out when I read the plot of (laughs) this poem. Go for it. Inspired by reports of a ghost of a man roaming the stairs of a haunted house in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, Canada... Uh, this poem says, yesterday upon the stairs, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. I know this. Was this in a uh, scary stories to tell in the dark? I'm, I'm like getting something oh, from see. the recesses of my childhood because I, I <laughs> it's I, in DC comics 52 and doom patrol. Oh my no. God. It's in a lot of stuff. It was in mad magazine. <laughs> Dave, this poem is in fear of the walking dead episode. Uh, who gives a shit? <laughs> I was thinking of watching that show, actually. Uh. (laughs) I'm a glutton for punishment. So I'm not saying they're referencing the poem, but it comes to mind. And to me, that's as important (laughs) as referencing. No, it feels feels right. The idea of the contradictory statement of I'm talking to someone who's not there. It almost reminds me of that they'll need a crane bridge of going back and forth. Like, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that, right? Yeah, a loop. A loop, a scary loop. The idea of getting something you can't get. He wants to sit in this chair with a girl. Do you think it's like a, I always imagined a bus. Do you think of a bus? I imagined it like musical chairs. This would be a good musical chair song. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? It sounds like something you have to. Oh my God. That would be great. Yeah. He doesn't get nervous. She's not there. That means he won. (laughs) She was out. Yeah. I mean, what's funny to me, I never thought about this before. I've always thought about I've always imagined this on a bus where it's a chair two people can sit in. Yeah. What if it's a chair only one person? You people might be ahead of me on this because I've always imagined. That, no, that's what I always I've thought. always imagined a big chair, but this is the first time ever I'm imagining it's a single seat chair. That's really funny. <laughs> that's like, because so, that, that would be rude to ask someone, can we both sit in? <laughs> that's what I assumed. I thought it was a very kind of. Uh, someone acting. Intimate. Crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An intimate uh, request. But then he's like, but it makes sense with the song. It's like, oh, but I, I won't actually get nervous about saying that because I don't have anyone. I never will. Yeah. Oh, my God. This album is depressing. <laughs> this is little, a dark album. Well, so then the next verse. Um, Take it, Jordan. Tour the world in a heavy metal band, but they run out of gas. The plane can never land. A very uh, spinal tappy <laughs> <laughs> experience. I love this. This verse to me is like such a childlike Dr. Seuss thing. It really is. Um, our friend Daniel emailed us tying that to the plane crash in Cajun Aquarium. 
Um, I don't know because I don't think the plane crashes. I think it never lands. <laughs> I don't know. You it's can in this magic purgatory. You could look. Yeah. That's, so that's the thing. I mean, I've seen fans talk about the song and be like, it doesn't land. It crashes. Cause that's another way of, you know, no one says a plane landed in a, on a, in a mountain. <laughs> they say it crashed, <laughs> but I, I, with, with the way, with the spirit of, they might be giants lyrics. I kind of do see it as like Dave said, like a purgatory thing. Like, they can never lay like it, ah, it's scary. I don't know. This is a scary song. Do you think it's a pun heavy metal and they're in a plane, which would be heavy metal? Could be. Or do you think it's something that, uh, again, John Flansburg always wanted to be in? Well, I think it's funny to have a song that sounds like this and Didn't have the words heavy, heavy metal. metal in it because <laughs> it's like couldn't be farther from heavy metal. You'd be it'd be hard to find a genre of type of song that is the polar opposite. It's, yeah, but that would be this song. So then uh, the last verse, should we say it together, Dave, like they do? <laughs> yeah, if you make it bigger. Okay, I'll make it bigger. I'll make it bigger, Dave. Yeah. What's, What's the, the sense in ever thinking, thinking about, about the tomb when, when you're, you're just... It's <laughs> dumb. What's the sense in ever thinking about the tomb when you're much too busy returning to the womb? He wants a shoehorn. Dave knows everything that this is about, so why don't you... Uh... <laughs> Well, returning to the womb, I don't think it has to be literal. To me, this ties with Cowtown. We yearn to swim for home. Yeah. Uh, and again, we talked a little less in this episode about how all the lyrics tie together, but it, it still does. We yearn to swim for home. The only home is bone. So it's like we yearn. It's the same thing as what's the sense in everything about the tomb when you're much too busy returning to the womb. We yearn to swim for home, the womb, but right. the only home is Sperm. bone. <laughs> go into sperm swim. Go into excruciating detail. Um, Jordan, sperm swim. <laughs> Sperms. But oh god, what was I saying? <laughs> this, is, this is what it's like for Dave, I guess. Yeah. But the only home is bone, which is that we're only ever thinking about the tomb. And I also love the the fact that the line "What's the sense in ever thinking about the tomb?" It does imply that that's what they're doing. That's what we're doing, right? Wish I could stop thinking about the tomb. Yeah. Think about that tomb. I, this, I mean, this, that, ver that verse obsessed. to me is one of those like mission statement kind of songs for They Might Be Giants, I think. I also love that they sang that at a kid's show. <laughs> the other verse is I can maybe uh, understand the kid's thing, but that, that one's hilarious to me, bringing your five-year-old to hear that. <laughs> That's, they're not ready for that. <laughs> I was, I was at five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of this now. Do you do you think there's also a uh, something underneath there where it's saying like, if you're not ready, if you're thinking about returning to the womb. So in other words, maybe like arrested development or like childlike or like sure. maybe not developed. I don't know. Um, you can't begin to comprehend and come to terms with mortality. And I don't know, almost like mocking a little bit like this person like, oh, yeah, you really think about death. You know, you're a baby. You can't think about death because you're too immature and you don't get it yet. Yes, that could be. <laughs> wow. I'm thinking long and hard. And this is like, a, I think these four lines, you know, or they're written out as four lines are like the most, some of the most complex and they might be giants history. And what I love about it is it's like, it's kind of nakedly complex. Like it's not hiding the, <laughs> it's saying like, think about this people. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how would this verse tie to the other verses you think? So the idea of wanting something you, you can't have that doesn't exist the idea of wanting, you know, or the idea of imagining things right. that can't happen, can't exist. Because it's saying like you're not even ready Is it for saying what's th coming. that's the same thing is that you're thinking about the, the tomb or you're too, you're too busy. Was, do you think busy as in like distracted? Is that what you're saying? No. Like you're too I think distracted wanting to return to the womb. No, but because it, it's saying what's the sense. Okay. So 
one way I think you can interpret that is there's no point in doing it because you're not ready to understand it. So like this person isn't going to be in a heavy metal band. They're not going to meet a girl. They're not going to understand what death is. Yeah. And they're not going to get their, their shoehorn that they want so bad Yeah, because they're too busy returning to the womb. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe, maybe they need to grow up and realize that there's no such, they know there's no such thing and they're wasting everybody's time by saying that's what they want. It's like, well, get a reality check, brother. I think we could maybe end it there. This, this song is a tough one. This is, but I think we did pretty well. Folks, if you have anything to say about shoehorn with teeth, please email us at don't let's podcast at gmail.com. Don't let's podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, or you could get us on Twitter at don't Don't let's Let's pod. pod. At Twitter, uh, don't let's pod. I've been really working hard preparing stuff to post to the Twitter to make you all happy at the expense of my own happiness. <laughs> so, and maybe I'll throw in a tweet or two there. Throw in a tweet, throw in a tweet or two. All right. The next song is Stand on Your Own Head. Head? <laughs> it's a fun song, yo. Everyone likes. I like people, they're the ones who can't stand. I see smoke signals coming from them They say we are out of furniture Stand on your own head for a change Give me some skin to call my own Stand on your own head Well, right off the bat, I'll say this is like one of my all-time favorite They Might Be Giant songs. Yeah, me too. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I like this song a lot. Why do you like it? The, puts me in a good mood yeah god it's it's like it's cute <laughs> it's a it's a cute and cuddly song yeah uh it feels a little underrated right you they think? never play it ever they don't talk about it ever it's it's just kind of on lincoln it's towards the end but but r- unlike you know like your chess piece faces or whatever like the, the day the weird towards the end songs that they tend to do on their albums this is like a this this is like a hit to me. I mean, it's very short, so it has that in common because they they like to stick a lot of really short songs towards the end sometimes. But it's just as strong a song as any as any. I think. Yeah, it's a good pop song. It's a pop <laughs> song. Um, I asked the Tumblr who plays banjo on this song, and I did not get an answer. I still want to know. Steve Martin. Do you think it? Yeah, it's Steve Martin. Do you think it's Flansburg? I, Linnell has a banjo and mm. plays banjo, but it seems too good for either of them. And by good, I mean it seems too intricate and skillful playing. Yeah, it seems very technical. I mean, Linnell is certainly a good instrumentalist, but and Flansburg's certainly a good guitarist. Maybe it's not very... But that does not sound like they're playing. Maybe it's not very technical. Like, after you learn you banjo a couple months, you just, everything sounds awesome. I own a banjolin, <laughs> and it's really hard to play. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how people it's can that do finger that plucking technique moving on from that though this kind of continues like the stripped down folky feel of the album it's got those like the drums are very light right like they're not even up front in the mix at all they're kind of you almost have to struggle to hear it's a kick drum mostly yeah with some percussion so i don't know if you thought of this maybe the percussion in the song always reminded me of uh yoshi music and super mario world okay you're gonna laugh <laughs> keep, keep going especially with like the percussion and and like the wackier like banjo music. This and, sounds like Mario World music. I'll give you that. Yeah, but obviously they didn't. We weren't referencing. <laughs> no, they were again. They were ahead of their time. Yeah, <laughs> they knew Yoshi was going to be created. Yoshi. They knew Yoshi Fever was coming coming soon. 
I also, so it's like, you've got this crazy banjo, you've got this very, um, kind of subtle percussion. Like it's, it's spirited. I don't mean it's like soft. I just mean that's in the mix. It's not as in your face as on the first album. And you've got these Flansburg, those single guitar notes, right? Yeah. Uh, so to me, this is like, again, like this is like a classic, they might be giants feel for the song, even though it's very different because uh, of the banjo and stuff. But I, I've always loved that. It's also got that great Flansburg harmony that I keep talking about, you know, it's like he's singing in a very high voice on a lot of these harmonies. They'll need a crane. I've got a match. Stand on your own head. It's very like up register up there. Stand on your own head. Stand on your own head for a change. Stand on so I think I've talked about the lyrics of this song with you before. I don't know if you have an idea what it's about or if you have an idea what I think it's about. Animal rights? Yeah. <laughs> so this is one of the yeah, old. It's in my notes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on the old mailing list, I think I remember someone's old interpretation uh, of the song was that it's like an animal crying out for his own right to exist. Uh, I've never really found anything counter to that. That feels right to me. All the lines. So right away, the first three words, I like people. Right. That implies this is not a person <laughs> singing the song, for right? Because a person would never say they like people. No. <laughs> well, they would, but, you know, song lyrics are expressing ideas. And it's like, it's on purpose that he wrote, that he said, I like people, is kind of my point. They're the ones who can't stand. So the, the idea, yeah. so to sum it up, I, the idea is that it's an, it's, I imagine like Linnell was in like a cottage somewhere and he saw like a bear skin rug or whatever. And I was like, I wonder what that bear would say. <laughs> yeah. That's also kind of Pogo-ish, kind of a uh, humanizing animals. Yeah, it is a po- human character. This song, I could. This song really does fit in with Pogo, <laughs> and Pogo does have a lot of um. They have certain strips that are very like protesty, where it's just like, why can't humans do? You know, why can't they stop throwing their garbage? Commentary, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot like that. So this is that's a good point. This is really like. Thank a, you. This is a very Pogo song. It kind of is like a Pogo-y, like the Pogoing around kind yeah. of feel. Or or Yoshi. So saying they're the ones who can't stand, um, they say we are out of furniture. So it's saying, because like animals don't have furniture, animals just like make their, make do with by, they either stand or sit or some animals, you know, like they're like hippos or whatever. (laughs) They just like stand around all day, like cows, you know, they, they would see people as like, what is wrong with people? Why don't they need to rest rest their butts all the time, you know? So this animal is speaking to someone who's sitting or resting on an animal skin thing, like a blanket or a, a rug or a chair. A leather couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it might even be some absurd thing that's not real. But saying stand on your own head for a change is a joke. He's he's saying, stand. you're standing on my head. Why don't you stand on your yeah. own head, <laughs> asshole? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think it's a really touching song. I, there is a chance this isn't what it's about. But to me, it really makes a good chance. so much sense. So give me some skin to call my own is just like, you took my skin. Yeah. It's funny. It ties to the piece of dirt thing, jumping out of your skin. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Give, you know, this is my skin. This isn't yours. Like, it's almost absurd. Like, how could anyone say that this is their skin now when it's mine? Unless it's about like Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah, it might be, it might be like a Leatherface song. Um, yeah, let's look at it through those eyes. He likes people. <laughs> I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 recently, and he, he has a crush on the main girl in the movie. He's kind of the hero of that movie, yeah. Leatherface. It's really bizarre. But, um, he says, uh, we're out of furniture. Well, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, there's a lot of, they use, they make furniture out of like bones and. Yeah, because the uh, industry came in and took over their uh, plant yeah, thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> but let's let's circle back to the animal angle. <laughs> Just this is promising, Dave. Don't get me wrong. Let's I'll start horror cast on my own and then ask you quickly to come on it. I would love to be on that. That could be fun. Maybe when we're out of ideas for this. Uh... <laughs> I'll meet you in 2030. Yeah. Um, I also love, I see smoke signals coming from them because it's like, I don't know if it's specific, if it's literal, like this is literally like takes place in the 1700s or something. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't know if it's just that animals don't really understand how people communicate because how would they? They don't know what talking is, right? It could be like a buffalo thing, like uh, the Native Americans, you know. Yeah, I was wondering if it was about that. It could line up with the Americana thing. Yeah, it could. I mean, this is a very, like I said, this kind of has a folky feel to it. You know, it's like an outdoor kind of like, like I said, I imagine like a cottage or something. You made my day, now you have to sleep in it. Now you have to sleep in it. I love the world, and if I have to sue for custody, I will sue for custody. You made my day, now you have to sleep in it. So uh, if people don't know, that's a pun on you made your bed, now lie in it. So the idea that you made my day is like he's saying, you you turned me into a bed, right? Yeah. This is a little grotesque when you really spell it, <laughs> which I think is the point of the song, is that if you really think about this stuff. Like I, for a while, like I, this code I had, there's this like tag. So like I'm a vegetarian, but I try, it's hard to like maintain, it's hard to not be a hypocrite because you use products that have, you know, involve animals. And I'm stuff. not a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave don't give a shit. But I do really love animals. Yeah, he So does. I'm, you know, I'm just a hypocrite. How they taste. And that's fine. <laughs> but I had this coat that was like made from goose feathers. Yeah. And it's like when I saw that tag and I, I only saw that tag months and months, maybe years after buying it. Because what, what am I doing? Looking at my tags all what the time? I, what am I doing? What am I? But when I saw the goose that, feathers I, guy? I, I remember struggling, like, should I throw this out? What do I do? At that point, I don't think it matters if you threw it out or not. I know, but I was very, I actually felt kind of torn up about it because I was imagining like some goose being tortured. <laughs> it was very sad. Listen, it's all about reducing as much as you can uh, with harming animals, at least, you know, cage free and uh, happy meat. <laughs> happy meat. I made that up. But you know what I mean? It's like... If you're going to examine it that closely, we literally can't exist on this planet without damaging it. So don't worry about it so much. I can. (laughs) No, probably not. But we're not supposed to be on this planet. It's not supposed to. So one thing I like, I I did Google make one's bed and lie in it to see if there's any history of that phrase. There really isn't that I could find, but just the, just spelling out the meaning is kind of funny to create a difficult situation whose unpleasant consequences one must now endure. So (laughs) that's something we do. I think a lot is we make like this podcast, for example, the Dave Fox story we make. So like we we make this podcast very hard on ourselves. And I I do think about like, we made our bed and now we have to lie in it. Oh, so then, so then the next line I love the world, and if I have to sue for custody, I will sue for custody. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, we're an invasive species, uh, us humans. We've ravaged the planet. Mother Earth. Gaia. Mother Gaia. A lot of the old interpretations from back in the day, I, I some of them were, were pretty smart, but a lot of them I was like, I don't know. This one always held together for me. I accept it. So yeah, saying I love the world, if I have to sue for custody, I will sue for custody. The, the idea is that, like the first line, I like people. This is not a person. This is someone who shares the planet with people. Yep. And it's probably not a bug <laughs> or an insect or some other species because they're saying they're making beds out of them. So the idea is that I imagine like a cuddly, <laughs> cute animal. 
and but he's mad. I love the I will sue for custody, right? That's yeah. one of my favorite like Linnell uh vocal performances because like a little beaver. Like a little just what Dave imagines. What do you you imagine a beaver? I, I kind of imagine a bear, <laughs> I guess. I always thought of it as a little bear, maybe think, like an elk. I think the listeners always want to know what I'm imagining. Yeah. Because it's always something weird. Teeth in the sky. This song, it's very succinct. I mean, there's not a lot of lyrics. The song's a minute and ten seconds. Wow, really? We could learn about brevity from them, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's so short. That's it's, shocking. It's two verses, two choruses. Um, it doesn't really have a it doesn't have a bridge it but it's it's all there and it's such a specific idea and it's also like it, it is really like a deep song and it makes you it has a lot to think about and it's i you know i'm pretty sure that they're not vegetarian so i i think there's a lot of debate on both sides if you eat meat or not eat meat but yeah i, I think my point is that this song you could like animals and not be a vegetarian my point is this this song has a kind of an empathy in it for animals yeah. that is i find very touching from linnell yeah. you know who does that a lot frank black does that a lot he has songs about like things, either whether it's an alien or animals. Uh, there's a lot of songs from him where there's this like deep empathy for animals. He has songs about his dogs. Yeah. The the Pixie song "Brick is Red." I saw an mm. interpretation that that's about a fish being gutted. Mm. It's so sad when you read it like that. It's like the saddest song ever. Did you ever know, think of that? No, I did not. So Brick is Red, A Fist is Fast, and Jimmy's Cast, Hang Me. So it's a fish hanging from a hook, right? He says, it's not time for me to go. The fish doesn't want to die. This like made me cry when I <laughs> read it. Then he says, my eyes have turned just the color of diamonds. So it's like the fish's eyes are glazing over. It's dying. And it's also not the first song about fish that the Pixies have on the same album, whereas my mind talks about swimming with the little fishies yeah. swimming around him and he's communicating with the fishies. He thinks about nature a lot, which I think is the headline here. Yeah, and, and just the general idea of like using a song to empathize with something that you've never... The other band I mentioned, the Rio Statics, they have a whole album with several songs about fish where it's like, it almost made me think like, oh, they must never eat fish or anything because they seem to love them so much. You're such a happy... Not to get too off topic, but do you think that that's a uh, quality inherent in creative people? An artist? I think so. But I also got to think about other But I also think it's, it's channeled, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how you go through life, right? Mm-hmm. So like my point is like Linnell wrote this song that's very sweet and empathetic towards animals. That doesn't necessarily mean in his day-to-day life that's going to be how he is. Right. Or Frank Black. I don't think Frank Black's a vegetarian. He has lots of songs about empathizing with animals and stuff. It's like what Roger Ebert said about movies. He said, I like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch them. Uh, but he's, he said they're empathy machines, which is like the idea that you, you put yourself in someone else's shoes for a while. That doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean that that's how the artist acts all the time. It's like when you write like a hate song about something, you could channel your hatred into that one song and then not really care as much anymore. Well, it could also be something you're wrestling with, just have on your mind. Someday I might become vegetarian because I do love animals so much. I don't know. It could be um, a process that they're going through. So, well, just to just finish this one, I just want to say again, it's one of my all-time favorites, and I wish they would do it live more. That would be fun. Maybe it's because of the banjo. I don't know. Why do you think they wouldn't do this live? Did they do it live when we saw Lincoln? They did it. So the one of the few they things did, right? it says on the wiki, this song has not been performed, at least, well, we don't know, because not every bootleg exists, but 
the Lincoln theme show in 2011. We did see this, and I was extremely excited. Yeah. I was extremely excited to hear this. I was so happy when they announced that show. It says 12 known performances. Wish they would announce a John Henry show. I would lose my shit. I know. I know that would be great. They've done it when it came out. It's the one they skipped. They're like, factory showroom show, mink car show, Apollo 18 show. <laughs> Do you remember if they had banjo when they played it? Probably not, right? Actually can't remember. Let's, let me check. What happened to the banjo? Talking to the microphone. I broke a string and I didn't have enough. Wow. I was going to say that's just like a banjo player, but I've never known a banjo <laughs> That is the official musician's excuse. I failed. <laughs> We're gonna do this without the banjo, but um, you wouldn't even know if there was a banjo if you hadn't had this conversation. Okay, so in the clip, they actually make a big deal out of how they don't have it. So I remember because we were there, yeah. and now I remember Dan Miller, he was going to play it, at, right? It was Dan Miller. Yeah, yeah. And he looked a little oh, embarrassed because <laughs> he broke it, and I was very excited to hear that. That would be a first. We've never heard a banjo at a They Might right. Be Giants show, and I think they were a little sad too, but... Um, that was really good live though. I mean, I remember it was so bouncy. It's like, this is, it's again, it kind of goes back to that. Just like, why would this song not be, if it, it's one of those things, like if I wrote this song, I'd play it all the time, but. So they might be giants. If you're listening, bring back the song, bring back the song, bring back the banjo. We, we love, love the song. And then and we, love you. we heard in the clip that Flansburg said the banjo is an instrument that you have to play really well. There's yeah. no mediocre banjo players. So who the hell is playing it in the song i just checked the liner notes it doesn't say so that would mean it's one of them but, but i if, just if he's saying you have to be really good at it it kind of implies he can't do it yeah he's well because it. it's not it's it's an it's an instrument you really have to dedicate a lot exactly. to and neither of them it's their main instrument linnell plays banjo on a few things like the particle man demo so the next song is another one of my all-time favorite they might be giant yeah, songs me too snowball in hell a snowball in hell i love that harmony jailer trapped in his cell <laughs> snowball in hell dave god so many good songs on this this album. album is it's no joke this is all their best songs in a row yeah, it's really I all downhill i, I have here. seen a few no, people okay. online be like oh i've never liked lincoln that much so i'm always like what do you even like about the band if you don't like these songs i don't get it i don't understand 
I don't understand. <laughs> Should I say before you get into because it looks like you got a lot to say. <laughs> Dave sees my notes. This was a song early on that actually was very accessible to me. Yeah. Because of bringing up the very real fears of not having money. Mm-hmm. Um, this is relatable. At all. So, whereas, uh, you know, we discussed a little bit on the last first album episode how it's some of their more abstract lyrics are harder to get into. And, I, you know, for me, I really want someone that has, uh, you know, real problems and something that I can connect to. Yeah. Um, which is a big reason why I like punk music. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. This Fair was enough. such a damn relatable song and i yeah. really liked this so much early on there's so much about it well that's great because it is relatable and it's not just relatable for the lyrics it's like when the music on top of it goes with that it's like yeah. a very sad somber somber melody it's very pretty one thing i i had to mention it's like i mentioned that the this album has a lot of like chimey sounds on it like in Cowtown and in i've got a match right um this has that too. This has the very pretty chimey feel to it. And it's got the melodica. It's just a sweet arrangement. And there are earlier versions of the song that are a little more abrasive sounding, but they really like sweetened it up. <laughs> you know, they gave it that Lincoln feel where it's like just very pleasant and beautiful to listen to. So there's, there's a lot to talk about the music and, and especially the lyrics. I almost feel like it should have been a single yeah, it's such a I hit song in my eyes. I mean, it's got the bridge, but that could have been. I mean, there's plenty of hit songs that have like kind of weird sections, especially back in the 80s. You know? And also the imagery that it brings to mind with uh, the snowman and everything. Yeah, it ties a lot of stuff back together. One thing I'll get out of the way first. So the TMBW, the wiki does mention this, but I did not need to go there to remember because this is tattooed in my brain. Um, when I worked at the Angelica movie theater, for about seven months or so mm -hmm. uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, this song was on was the credits music for a movie called Haiku Tunnel. Believe it or not, this man has it all. You go perm and a firm will cover your psychotherapy. Oh, you're good. Haiku Tunnel. Swimming in the gravy boat, bucko. So Haiku Tunnel, directed by Jacob and Josh Kornbluth. And Josh Kornbluth, is, uh, he's in the gigantic documentary, and there's an extra feature where he mentions Spiraling Shape being a great song. I, I, always, I think about that from time to time. It is a good song. So he's obviously a big fan, and he used Snow... He did a kind of a workplace comedy about, like, yeah, your job sucks, your nine-to-five sucks. I've never seen the movie. I don't know how it is. But... Um, Snowball in Hell is over the credits. Well, first, oh. I think it was in the trailer, I could swear, because I used to hear it in the trailer there. But it, it played over the credits, and I remember working at this movie theater being like, this is the only, this is a highlight of my day, is just cleaning the gross crap off yeah. the seats <laughs> and to Snowball in Hell. And it goes with what I, mean, I was feeling, <laughs> too, which is I hate this job so much. Isn't it weird that we were both movie ushers? We were both movie. Me and Dave were... You're, if you listen theaters. to every episode of this podcast, you'll really piece our lives together. Yeah. We were me and we were both movie ushers, but in different theaters. Yeah. I had to pick the so one that weird. was nowhere near where I lived, and Dave picked the one that was like three blocks from his apartment. I always pick jobs that are three blocks from my... That's actually very true. <laughs> That's really true. So... We're, you know, I worked at the Angelica. I heard the song all the time over the credits. It was very nice. I, I met John Linnell at the Angelica. <laughs> I thought that would be a good segue into Whoa. this brief anecdote, which is, so I used to play They Might Be Giants music there all the time. 
uh, in the lobby in the cafe, which is very funny because if you ever go to the Angelica in Manhattan, it's kind of got like a calm, like a lot of people play like nice music in the cafe or maybe like top 40 kind of stuff. I was always like, this is an indie theater. Let's play indie music. So I used to play very obscure stuff. I played Violent Femmes. I played all that, you know, all that stuff. Well, State Songs was maybe like two years old, but I was still like rabidly into it. So I used to play State Songs all the time. I used to play Factory Showroom a lot. I played John Henry a lot because that's more accessible. So uh, one time... I was playing state songs and it had ended. And then very soon after it ended, John Linnell walked in wow, that's crazy. and sat in the cafe. And I'm like the guy who rips your ticket in the, so I'm kind of, <laughs> I have this kind of bird's eye view of the whole cafe. Right. And I'm just like, John Linnell's sitting there. <laughs> it was, so uh, one thing I'll say is, um, this wasn't too unusual because working at the Angelica, I met a celebrity just about every two or three days. I met John Turturro, Benicio del Toro, uh, my last ticket that I ever ripped was Bjork. Whoa. It was midnight on my final day. I had quit. Damn, that's and, a way to go out. And she was late to her movie and she runs in at midnight and hands me the ticket. And I was like, well, I, I ripped Bjork's ticket. And then I like took off that stupid bow tie <laughs> and threw it on the ground. <laughs> and, then, and then the ticket grew wings and, yeah. and flew. And flew like a butterfly. Into a parachute of... <laughs> Yeah, so I met a lot of famous people at the Angelica, a lot of members of the state <laughs> would go there, a lot of comedians. And Why don't you talk about the time you met John Waters? I love that story. That's a whole long story that I'll save for another Aww. time because this episode's going long. Um, okay, John Waters yelled at me and called me a fucking idiot. A- anyway, uh, <laughs> so John Linnell was there. So out of all the celebrities, that was the one I was actually starstruck for, yeah. which is hilarious because I'm sure no one else there recognized him. He went to see Ghost World. I'm not trying to intrude on his private life, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I sincerely am not trying to do that. So John Linnell's sitting in the cafe, and I'm like, I have to say something, or I'll, I, how could I not? So I just walked up to him at the table. I said, hi, I'm a big fan. I play your albums here all the time. And he just said, oh, thanks. He seemed a bit uncomfortable because this is his personal life. It's not after a show. He, he seems yeah. uncomfortable after shows too. <laughs> if you try to meet him, he's not really like the meet and greet type. Um, but he can be really super friendly if you catch him in a certain way. But, uh, he said, Oh, okay. And I ripped his ticket and I said, Oh, ghost world's great. You're going to love it. So he comes out of the theater and I say, Oh, you might want to watch after the credits. There's a funny scene. And he said, Oh, thank you. So he did. <laughs> and then he, he walked away <laughs> and then I said, bye. So it's not the greatest story, <laughs> but it is kind of crazy. And I, I always think like, what if he walked in while I was playing state songs? That would have been very strange for both of us. Yeah. That would have been like a sitcom moment. <laughs> I imagine it would have been uncomfortable. It would have been uncomfortable. Um, so that's, that's one thing with that song. Now I want to talk about the actual song and all the stuff involved in it. So, okay, there's, there's, this is another kind of line-by-line one because there's a lot about each line that I want to say. So this is a song about working a crap job, yeah. obviously, right? I mean, maybe it's not obvious to some people, but to me it's obvious, especially if you've done it. You can feel that from the lyrics. And not just that, but probably just struggling with your creative side not being... I'm going to get to yeah, that. To the I'm going to get to that soon. Um, but so, but going, I'm sorry. But go, <laughs> it's okay. Dave's excited too. But uh, well, Avalanche or Roadblock? What do you what do you make of that? By the way, because this is another one where they used to say live. This song is called Avalanche or Roadblock. I was a snowball in hell. Again, is it a running joke that they had these long song titles? I don't even know. I mean, if I were to venture a guess, an avalanche is something that has continuous momentum, and a roadblock is the opposite. 
So, well, but see, an avalanche causes a roadblock too, though, right? Hmm. <laughs> no, you might be. I don't know if we're both right or wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's just about momentum, you know. And yeah, that's especially that's, with creativity. That's really interesting. That is kind of how it it comes, you know, as a creative person. It's like sometimes it's just a faucet and it's flowing out of you, and then yeah. other times you're just like, "Jeez, I cannot get anything done." Yeah, or the idea of just a roadblock, like you're stuck. You're trying to go down. Sure, the, you're trying yeah. to go down the path that you're you're going, and you can't. Yeah, a jailer trapped in his cell is something I've never thought much about, but I am now. So it's not a prisoner in his cell; it's the guy in charge. Yeah, it's like, well, he still has to do his job. That's true. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh my god, is this? I'm sorry. Is this a song where he said there were other lyrics? There are other lyrics in the old versions, like the Franco Tool version, uh, where he says, did I affect your drug trip mm-hmm. instead of side effect or drug trip? He goes like, did I affect your drug trip? <laughs> Which is, I guess, more putting it on yourself. Yeah. Did I do? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting alternate line. And threw my wallet in the wishing well. Through, yes. Yes. Through my wallet. Yeah. See, Dave's a big fan, too. It's not just me who knows everything. <laughs> I threw my wallet in the <laughs> wishing <you>. well. <laughs> That's a nice line. I feel it's a little simple for they might. It's a little like for when you have the standards of Flansburg lyrics at this time. That's a little too obvious to me. I mean, I still like the line. I threw my wallet in the wishing well, but it's it's a little too like, yeah, we get it. You want to you have all these dreams and desires and you're you're throwing your well, now I'm convincing myself it's a good line. (laughs) Maybe you're throwing all your money at this thing and you, you know, it's not really well, wishing well is nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so it's kind of You know sad. what? I like that lyric. <laughs> yeah. Sh- okay. He should have put that in. Should have had t- 10 verses. So the, we'll go right to the first verse or this song is weirdly structured. It almost doesn't, it almost feels like a pre-chorus or something, but money's all broke. Food's going hungry. If it wasn't for disappointments, I wouldn't have any appointments. So that is a reference it might be a reference because this is this is a phrase that's been used in a few things, but born under a bad sign, old blues song. Born on a bad sign. Been down since I began to call. If it wasn't for bad luck, you know I wouldn't have no luck at all. So born under a bad sign, Albert King, uh, though I do, I did read that this line is from older songs too, but, uh, th- this is, I think is the more popular one where he says, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. And Dave, I want to know if you know, the first time I heard that line, do you know? No. Well, I'm going to play it for you now. Born under a bad sign. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I first heard this song on Simpson Sing the Blues. Wow. Uh, Mr. Homer Simpson, I think that's his name. He uh, covers Born Under a Bad Sign. You know, I never had that album. Really? See, yeah, I was never interested in having that. As big a Simpsons fan I was, I was just oh, like, sure. I don't like how this is shaking out. Before I liked bands, like I said, I liked stuff like this. All yeah. I did was when I was little, I listened wow. to Simpsons sing the blues over and over. And I thought these were original songs. I didn't know. <laughs> what do I know? Um, I thought this was a song they wrote. <laughs> it's funny. Even like being a huge Simpsons fan early on, I still was like, I don't this like is that. Bullshit. I don't like that. This is a cash grab, <laughs> mommy. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. want this. <laughs> I wasn't that young. Um, Mother. I called her mom. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't like the Bartman. This is dumb. Do the Bartman. I don't like... Uh, 
I performed deep, deep trouble to my Hebrew school class. Wow. (laughs) When I was little. Let's start at the start, then take it away. I still know all the lyrics because of that one time that I did that. I can see that. (laughs) So anyway, so Flans changes it to something that I love, which is, if it wasn't for disappointments, I wouldn't have any appointments, which is taking that first line and turning it into like it's pathetic corporate kind of thing. Yeah. Like when you have appointments. So it's just like, he's, he's really making it into this like middle class, like he's taking it from blue collar to white collar almost. I, I wonder if that's an older term also though, because I mm. could swear, first of all, I could swear I've heard that before. The appointments be thing? No, no. The disa- no, the pun of disappointment. I, a kid told me a joke once in like sixth or seventh grade where it was something like, uh, I don't remember the setup. It was something about disappointment. And then the punchline is, well, disappointment is canceled. <laughs> See, it's funny. still works. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Sure. I guess we, we can at least concede that plans were twisting the, the born under yeah, a bad yeah. sign line into something a little more upscale is, is kind of funny, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I've always loved that so much i there's so much to talk about okay so then let's go through every line side effect or drug trip don't tease me with all of your might what do you think about that line don't tease me with all of your mites that's to me is like what you think about a boss Hmm. right like when the retail jobs i've had the people who are like above me in the jobs there isn't an air about them isn't it it's like kind of like oh yeah you're you're more powerful than me you know it's like it's subtle. Like sometimes they're not doing it on purpose. Right? And you can't say anything to them. No, no. Because you're, kind of... you're afraid of losing your job. Well, like I worked at um, a comic book store like two years ago for a few months and th- every employee there was like above me. And, you know, they would always like hog the stereo and play all the music they want. And I always felt like, don't tease me with all of your might. <laughs> I wanted to play. They might be giants. And by the way, when I did, people were happy. Uh, it happened a couple of times. But uh Shit. It was always just like these little power moves. That's what that yeah, line yeah. is about mm-hmm. to me is these mm-hmm. little, little power moves where it's like, oh, I'm going to take the last donut and, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I've worked here a little bit longer, five months longer than you. Okay. Well, anyway, so then my panacea is in a Xerox shop. This has always been an interesting line. Uh, what the dictionary says, <laughs> we're a very useful podcast, I think. A sol- Webster's dictionary defines yeah. a solution or remedy for all difficulties or diseases. Yeah. So him saying panacea. my him saying panacea. Well, the way he sings it, my panacea yeah. is in. Oh yeah, you're right, my panacea. He says it's in a Xerox shop. I have two theories. One idea I just thought of now. So my first theory, I'll go in backwards order. <laughs> Flansburg's graphic design ambitions yeah, yeah. when he was starting the band. Um, he used to say he he went you know he went to art school he wanted to be a graphic designer and he did a lot he did all their flyers and all that stuff so saying my panacea is in a Xerox shop is kind of saying my my path towards my non roadblocked <laughs> hopefully non roadblocked path to like creativity and art is is being in a Xerox shop and making these like posters and flyers and graphic stuff right yeah do you resonate with yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. The other theory is, um, so sleeping in the flowers says he's got a crush from on a girl that's, in a coffee shop. That's why I thought coffee shop, <laughs> a coffee shop. I thought it was about this. I thought he was hung up on some girl for a while and had a couple of references to her in songs. Yeah. So I, I still think that could be true because one thing that happened, I used to be on the old IRC fan area. No one knows what that is, but, uh, it's like an internet chat thing that mm-hmm. wasn't AOL or, you know, so it's called IRC. It was just chatting. 
And uh, Flansburg did an interview there once, like fan questions. So it was just, a, it was on, wasn't that many of us. Hmm. So it was kind of crazy. It was a really specific thing for him to do to like go to the TMBG IRC. And we, we used to talk about that. And we asked him, one of us asked him like, is what's the deal with the copy shop stuff in both Snowball and Hell and Sleeping the Flowers? And all he said was banned secret. Huh. <laughs> so... Oh, what does that mean? Damn. <laughs> Band secret. I mean, that could have been shorthand for I don't want to answer that. But that always made my mind wander. Now I want to know more than ever. Yeah, right. Exactly. What if that girl was Robin? Maybe. I always thought it was weirdly. I don't know. I this we have to read our uh, fan fiction. So moving on, have a nice day. You want it when is like such a retail thing. Like, oh, and when do you want your, I mean, it's almost like working in a copy shop thing. Like I need, I need these by tomorrow afternoon. Right. Or, you know, dry cleaning. (laughs) What I love about Flansburg in this song is he's taking these like slogans and making them boring and sad. Well, I love that. It's not, when do you want it? (laughs) It's, it's, it's reverse, which is like, you want it when? Yeah, that, that, it's like that a little is, bit more snide. You want it when is almost like the person told you already and you're just like didn't, weren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> so then we've got the bridge. I didn't expect to find a salesman drinking coffee this late in the morning. How long you been here, Joe? Oh, I don't know. I guess 30, 45 minutes maybe. Why do you ask? You must be making a lot of sales, piling up good income. Oh, I'm doing all right. I could do better, but... Oh, I get it, Paul. Back on that old time is money kick, right? I'm not back on it, Joe. Still on it. I love the bridge. It's one of my favorite bridges, probably to any song. Yeah, I guess we should inform people to the fans that don't read all the stuff, though. Uh, that bridge is a tape that was given to Flansburg so about how to work. How to manage your time effectively. Yeah. <laughs> Which Flansburg seems very good at, by the way. Yeah. He probably is better at that than most people. True. So he, he managed his time effectively by not... Listen, wasting his time with that. Not wasting time with the tape and using it as the bridge for these two guys, Joe and Paul... We're kind of like Joe and Paul, I think. Yeah, which one is which? Uh, I've always saw myself as like a Paul. I'm a Ringo. <laughs> so yeah, it's like he, he, they took this little segment out, and you hear a little bit more of the segment in early versions of the song, which is very exciting for me. So yeah. I'll play a little bit of that. In their early live shows, they played a little bit more of it. <laughs> oh, I get it, Paul. You've got the needle out, and back on that old time is money kick, right? Not back on it, Joe. Still on it. They did a live version we saw where they did a duo show recently and they might be giants lip synced to the bridge. Do you remember that, Dave? Yeah, yeah. That was at Music Hall of Williamsburg. It was really funny. I didn't expect to find a salesman drinking coffee this late. How long have you been here, Joe?
Didn't they also have a version where the avatars of they were yeah. in the... Uh, for a while, they had the avatars come out. They would and riff for do a while. A long time, they would do their own spin on it, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. I, I really loved that. I thought that was a great addition to the song. But then when we saw them a little after that, they did a thing where they just lip synced. They kind of did the animatronic robot thing, yeah, which yeah. ties back to our whole Lincoln thread. They kind of like mouthed it as if they were robots. And it was very funny. It was really strange and great. You know what I always thought was funny about this bridge is uh, how angry he sounds when he says, Oh, yeah, yeah. Why do you ask? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? He goes, how long have you been here, Joe? Oh, I don't know. I guess 30, 45 minutes, maybe. Why do you ask? <laughs> it's like a hard-boiled detective or something. <laughs> he knows. He knows he shouldn't be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always love how Paul says the last line, like, deathly, yeah. deathly serious. Yeah, no. Not back on it. Still on it. Still on it. It's like... I know we're having pleasant small talk, but this yeah. is really serious. <laughs> right? I spend every waking minute thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's an interesting clip. I, I, def, I definitely see why Flansburg was attracted to that, to putting that into the song. Something and, sinister about the whole exchange. Yeah, and the whole time is money thing really fits the whole idea of the song because the song, the song really is like this, you're trapped in this endless thing that goes on and on and on. And that's if time is money, then... I also love when he's like, Oh, <laughs> oh! I get it. I, I've, <laughs> I, I memorize that as much as I memorized any any song lyric. <laughs> so, so then the money I owe, money I a thing. Dave, do you have anything on that, or do you no. want do you want me to go full speed ahead? Full speed ahead, dude. Money I owe, money I a, money I. Owe. I was trying to find out where where could this maybe be a reference to Ghost Riders in the Sky, a cowboy legend. This the chorus for this song is Yippee I O Yippee I A, and the the song is about this cowboy seeing these ghosts in the sky chasing after cows. By the way, this ties to Cowtown for me. Yeah, chasing after these red eyed cows in the sky. The song is saying he'll be doomed to join them forever if he doesn't change his ways. Mm-hmm. Then cowboy, change your ways. Today or with us you will ride. Trying to catch that devil's herd across these endless skies. So tying the retail thing of doomed to do it forever sure. with the haunt, haunted kind of folk tale of, you know, you'll be doomed to like be in this endless loop of these cowboys in the sky. It's a song from like the uh, 1948 is the original version by Stan Jones. So are you saying that the money, money, I owe money, I, a, I think is might, in that song. Yippee I O Yippee I A. Yippee yeah, okay. Flansburg replaced one word. Money, I, gotcha. I don't know for a fact that he's referencing this song, but right. w- the only thing I could really find prominently when I Google song lyric I O I A, which gotcha. is hard to spell by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I did it took a few attempts, was this song. This song came up everywhere. So I think Flansburg might be referencing this by just replacing the word yippee with money. Money. No, it it makes sense. It's consistent with the theme. And the idea that it's about this cursed thing that you can't escape and it's about retail jobs. I buy it. Thank you. I was very excited to find that. 
This is the last song on the album that has like the fake drums and it also has that kind of marching snare drum sound. I love the arrangement of this song. Every every instrument like is harmonizes so beautifully with with each other. It's such an interesting unique song too because I've just never heard a song that sounds like this before. The main phrase snowball in hell saying you haven't got a snowball's chance in hell right. means you're fucked, <laughs> right? So he's saying, I am a snowball in hell means I can't. It's not a hopeful song. He's saying, I'm trapped here. I think every line, if you really dig, dig deep into each line, they're all reinforcing the idea that you're stuck in this thing. Well, Flansburg really loves that idea of the snowman melting himself. Yeah, exactly. And he's melting himself on a pile of money. Yeah. So the throw my money in the wishing well mm-hmm. ties to throwing all your money away and working a dead-end job that you're barely scraping by on and saying that I'm trapped here and I'm a, I have a snowball's chance in hell of, of anything, of achieving anything of my artistic goals. There you go, folks. I, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite songs. I, to me, like, whenever I start to be like, oh, Linnell, you know, his songs, he has, he has a lot of the better songs, I always, I always think about Snowball Hell. I'm like, but Linnell <laughs> mm. did not write Snowball Hell, as far as we know. It feels very Flansburg to me, mm. the, uh, the work stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's a Flansburg topic. So we're going to end this with the last, <laughs> coincidentally enough. Makes sense. With the, yeah, the last song on Lincoln, Kiss Me, Dave. Son of God. <laughs> Called the blood of the exploited working class But they've overcome their shyness Now they're calling me your highness And the world's free Kiss me, son of God Boy, this song maybe for the first time talking about religion? Maybe. Well, they've said, <laughs> if you want to know from the source, uh, they've just said it's about bullies in general. Is that Kiss Me, Son of God, is that written for any television evangelist in, uh, in particular, or is it just a... No, it's written for everybody. Fact. It's a song for, for anybody, actually. I mean, basically, it's just, it's not really about religion, particularly. It's just about, you know, bullies and abusive people. And, and, and in other words, the winners of the world. <laughs> now, I think sometimes when they say stuff like that, I think it is about, I think it is about religion, obviously, but... I mean, I, I think yeah. they try to cover themselves and be like, oh, don't look too hard into like any controversial statements. It's it's an extremely cynical, funny. I mean, it's a funny, cynical song about how people, how they can rise to power under yeah. false pretenses and not uh, give a damn about anyone else except themselves. Yeah. This is a great character study song, I think. I mean, I love the lyrics in this song and I have, you know, big problems with people of this nature. Yeah, of sure. Charlatans. I happen to like charlatans. I think they're uh, under <laughs> undervalued. Know, different strokes, in different folks. Yeah. Um, so this song is. I mean, it's a great way to end an album because uh, it's a really like funny, blunt statement about sort of like bad a, people. <laughs> sort of like an after credit song, and if. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because you have this big ending, really. Snowball and Hell. Snowball is a really and Hell good is like song. the ending of the album, and this is like this is the Marvel post credit scene. <laughs> This is just kind of like, oh, by the way, people are horrible. <laughs> the end. I built a little empire out of some crazy garbage. That to me is one of Linnell's most scathing <laughs> lyrics. Well, it kind of reminds me again of the stand on your own head lyrics. It's it's kind of a very cynical, separated view of like what the human race is. 
Yeah, and saying it's a world screams, kiss me, son of God. It is just like, people are just this mass. It's almost like the women and men <laughs> vibe of like, people are just this mass of a, of a thing yeah. without any individuals. The less you see people as individuals, the more you can excuse like their suffering, right? Like, right. this song kind of plays off of that a little. I love all the lyrics. <laughs> I destroyed a bond of friendship and respect between the only people left would even look me in the eye. Now I laugh. I love that he like doesn't have any friends and he's his response to that is to laugh. I destroy the bond of friendship and respect between the only people left who'd even look me in the eye. Now I laugh and make a fortune off the same ones that I tortured. They've never really had many uh, songs with religious undertones, have they? Cards on the table. My favorite band is Bad Religion. So I mean, this, it's funny because to me, the song isn't controversial because mm-hmm. it's just so fanciful and it's clearly about like a psychopath. <laughs> it fits all the psychopath traits, just not caring about anyone else and just wanting money and power. But uh, this is the song that did get them. It got them. This song got cut off when they were performing it on like a TV show or a radio show oh, somewhere. Really? This song we played on a TV station in Kansas City, Missouri, in the United States. This song is called Kiss Me, Son of God. Right after the line, I look like Jesus, they pulled us off the air. We are still waiting for a written explanation and apology. That's right. So it's always been funny to me, the idea that someone was listening to this song in a control booth and went like, oh no, and pulled the plug. Because hmm. I guess to me, it's like, oh, that's cool. They're listening to the lyrics at least. Right. You know, they're they're being invested in the song. I'd almost rather someone like... Like I, I made an album and I submitted it for reviews to people and a lot of them were very, they didn't like talk about anything specific <laughs> in the lyrics. So it's like, I'd rather someone really take in a lyric than and be not have, by it. yeah, than not have any opinion on it. So I thought, I always thought that was funny. I look like Jesus, so they say, but Mr. Jesus is very far away. And I love me. I look like Jesus, so they say. I mean, so the implica- I guess the implication is that someone, you know, like Jesus is... Fooling people. Yeah, because he's not saying the actual the Jesus. <laughs> right. That's why I don't really see it as controversial. It's about a fraud. In any piece of, in any work of art, if you're bringing forth certain things into the context of the song, you're making people think about that, right? So you're making them make those connections. I guess I always saw this song as like so cartoonishly evil that the controversy of it, it seemed funny to me because this is just not... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's a difference. Maybe I just took it pretty serious. I imagine someone on like a mountain of <laughs> skulls or something. Yeah. It's very um, exaggerated, sort of. I mean, and I guess and you, one could say it's not exaggerated. <laughs> I always saw it as like a kind of like a painting or a weird cartoon of, of some horrible, evil asshole. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the music for sure. Yeah. This features the Ordinaires. which featured uh, Kurt Hoffman, who plays with them a lot. Also, he had a Hello Club uh, release under uh, Kurt Hoffman's Band of Weeds. It is a very nice uh, classed-up arrangement. Yeah, it's got the stand-up bass and the real piano and the violins. Which I guess just backs up the um, 
insanity of the message. Yeah. I, I always, yeah, it's funny because it sounds almost kind of like a loungy song, right? Like it's, it's like a, I could see this song being like almost like a, because like, like the Jerry Lewis thing of We've Got a World That Swings, it kind of reminds me of that kind of feel. Like you could play this at like a piano bar somewhere and it's just a song everyone would like chuckle at and applaud. This is like after the apocalypse has happened and all yeah. the people that have survived are in the back of a nightclub. Yeah, it's a very classic feel to this song. And I, even the mix of it is kind of, um, it sounds very vinyl-y to me. It's kind of flat. Like you notice like Linnell's, their vocals, well, they're harmonizing. Again, it's like the last great harmony on that song, which is like almost every line is a harmony that Flansburg does. Their vocals are kind of flat sounding. They're not as full and upfront as, as the other songs on the album because this song sounds to me like a, like a vinyl pressed, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's yeah. like subtle, but everything's kind of, it's like an EQ thing. It's well, like a warmth. Yeah, it's like, and the, the bass isn't very bassy. It's kind of like, Everything's kind of in that same kind of old. It's very jazzy. Yeah, it's jazzy. It sounds like an old jazz. Jazz-o. It sounds like an old jazz record. Yeah. So I, I always, I always wondered how that arrangement happened. Like, did did they might be giants help arrange it? Because they always say like, oh, the Ordinaires played the song for us. But it's like, did they arrange it? I wonder who made that. You know what I mean? Who who like picked what should be doing yeah. what? Because it's very specific. You know what each, every instrument is doing is like it's not like it's not like a band jamming. Like it's really worked out really really well. Yeah, you know, this it's kind of reminds you like the the bells are ringing, like the way to end an album where you're talking about some world domination, yeah. evil thing happening is something Linnell <laughs> seems to like to do at least a few times. That's that's uh that's funny. I guess he's obsessed with the prospect of um someone very easily taking over everything. Yeah, that'd be a weird thing to happen, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this song is pretty timely, huh? Mm. I mean, we won't get too into that, but it's funny. Well, the whole thing, I, it strikes me all the, you know, make laugh and make a fortune mm-hmm. of the same ones that I torture. God, how many people in power? I think Dave's taking the song too seriously. <laughs> I, I see it more funny. I don't know, man. I'm a serious guy. Yeah, Dave's, that's why Dave's here, to interject serious thoughts. You can't laugh and make a fortune off, off people you torture and have it be funny. It is funny. <laughs> Cruelty is funny, Dave. Yeah. Black comedy, it's called. What do you think of the line, uh, you love me and I love me? That line reminds me <laughs> of the hotel detective thing. Uh, that's where I want yeah. you to know you. That's, yeah, they, yeah. they pull the rug out uh, <laughs> from under you a lot with that. I love that line, you love me and I love me, because it's like it's almost worse to pretend you're about to compliment someone <laughs> and then turn it into a compliment of yourself. Like you once told me that story, Dave, with your, with your wife when you were, when you, you both hadn't said, I love you yet. Do you remember this? St- <laughs> the vanilla Coke thing? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of that. In the early days of dating my wife, the woman who became my wife, uh, yeah, yeah, she's still- it's good that you yeah. weren't ma- It wasn't an arranged marriage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see if this works out. This is, uh, when vanilla Coke was really hot. <laughs> A lot of Dave's stories begin with that. And uh, we just had, to put you know, the time in place, Vanilla Coke was hot. It anyway, was, it was the summer all the kids were calling Vanilla Coke summer. Yeah, we hadn't said the words "I love you" to each other yet. And as a funny joke, uh, I was drinking a Vanilla Coke and I said, "Oh, I love you." Dot 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 Vanilla Coke. Yeah, and you you took her by surprise. She actually, I mean, those dot dot dots were not literally something you said, right? No, no. Okay, I want to make that clear. It was a, a pause. Yeah, and in that pause, she was taken aback. I just remember the story very vividly. <laughs> Not my finest moment. No, I think that's funny. 
But you, she laughed, right? Yeah, no, she did. Because it's not like, all right, let me preface by saying it's not like it wasn't hanging in the air already. Um, and it was sort of, I guess I was coming from a place where it was supposed to be sort of like, we both know we're going to say it. I want to kind of be cutesy and play around with it and kind mm-hmm. of draw out this special moment a little more. Sure. It's like, it's like, it's a way of saying it without saying it. Yeah. It's a way of like pre- um, preemptively saying it. It takes the edge off a little bit. It wasn't meant to be cruel. It yeah. was just meant to be like, uh, I'm going to say this and I'm trying to like muster up the courage to get it out. You know, I think it's a very sweet story. Oh, I think, thank you. I think you come out looking good in the story. <laughs> well, she married me. Yeah, something something must have worked there, but yeah, I mean that that's like Linnell's doing this very cruel, mean version of that because it's funny because he says he destroyed the bond of friendship between the only people left who we, he was friends with, right? Yeah. And then there's one person left, and he goes, "You're the only one here who can tell me if it's true that you love that you love me and I love me." He's like, "So the last person left who is like could maybe advise him, like maybe it's his advisor or something in this power <laughs> dynamic." He pisses, he fucks with him at the end, and now there's really no one left. It's like Mr. Burns and Smithers. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do think the funny kind of the funny thing within the song is how alone he is. Yeah. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah. He's a psychopath. I read a book. I read John Ronson's The Psychopath Test, and it talks about how a common thing with psychopaths is you're alone in your mansion with paintings of yourself, and you don't. You're just happy. Sometimes they form attachments to like their dogs and stuff. Mm. Uh, but other than that, like people could come and go in your life, and you're just like, well, if they didn't help me, they're not um, agreeing with the things I do and helping me achieve this power. Then who cares? They're mm. just they're they're leeches, right? So it really captures, I mean, this song really captures like a psychopath sensibility. And uh, I don't think this is uh, Linnell based on anything specific, but who knows? I'd I'd wonder what would, I wonder what inspired that. I mean, we mentioned the Flansburg mentioning Jimmy Swaggart in the (laughs) piece of dirt. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's related to these uh, mega church. Those guys. People. Yeah. Those fine citizens. (laughs) Yes, the world screams, kiss me, son of God. So that's the end of Lincoln. Wow. Oh my God. You feel um, empty inside? I feel a little empty. I feel like we I feel like we kind of purged. <laughs> <laughs> we really hope you enjoy this journey. <laughs> this this journey through Lincoln. It's like a three-parter. Maybe there'll be more to talk about, though. Yeah. There is a little bit more to talk about. We want to hear more about your thoughts on this album and the songs. Please email us at don't let's start podcast at gmail.com or uh please become uh followers of our become it's like kiss me son of a god yeah become our blind followers at our twitter don't let's pod yeah please uh spread the word around we've been getting a lot of positive feedback and we really appreciate it uh we just want to keep this momentum going yeah, and and I should also say, you know, these episodes, you, as you can see, they're 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 very dense. <laughs> so, like a weekly schedule is is very. Uh, it's not really on the table. <laughs> it's just not possible. It's, so it takes so long. I kind of see each episode, Dave, as like a special event. You know, like it's up. The new episode is up. Let's all celebrate rather than like the weekly grind. Like here's another episode. Here's another episode. Our friend Daniel, who we talk about a lot, he's been 
really helping us so much. He's been compiling some of these reference clips and interview quotes and stuff. He's been helping me out with that. So the episodes are going to be even better, I think, than they would have been, especially the next few, because I've got tons of stuff now to to go back to. Thank you. Uh, coming up next is most likely going to be Miscellaneous Tea, which is a compilation of their 80s B-sides. So the songs left off these albums. Uh, we're going to get to that before Flood because it's it's really songs from the 80s. So everyone, make sure to do your homework and listen to that album. Yeah, listen to it with uh, do the Clockwork Orange thing on your eyes, even yeah. though it's an album. Um, <laughs> and we're going to also have a few surprises, too, coming up around that. Maybe next, maybe after Miss Lane's Tea. We're going to see what we feel like doing. So stick around. We have so much more in store. And I mean that sincerely. So until next time, I'm excited about next time. Uh, we're going to go away now. <laughs> And Dave, you had one final thought. Every time push comes to shove, you'll see my teeth in the stars above. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, oh my God, it's scary. Don't sneak up on me like that. I expect to see a salesman drink the coffee this late in the morning. How long have you been here, Joe? for Ashley Madison, so 30, 45 years. Watch your ass. You must be racking up a lot of ransom payments in Bitcoin for your hacker scam that you've been running out of this coffee shop. Back on it, Joe.